get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Blues get the puck straight away. Verona shot on, rebound, backhand, Letty. Hayes, he scores! Kevin Hayes is first as a blue. Puck cleared around to the line, not out. Now they get it out. Hayes this time to the empty net. Score! And they're back to 500. There's the horn. You can bring out the Zamboni. The St. Louis Blues beat the New Jersey Devils by a score of 4-1 to tonight. Now is Saad in front. Back door to Cairo. He scores! Thomas to the middle on his forehand. Score! Robert Thomas goals in three straight games. Everyone is trying to get this captain on the board. Look out, here it is. He shoots. He scores! Just like that, Joe. Braden Shin. A 6-3 final tonight on home ice. Blues have won two in a row for the first time this season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. Got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, one more day off. He'll be back in tomorrow. We will give you our football pick and reveal tomorrow. Oh, good. One day delayed because I got to stick it in his face. Whoa. Alex. Stick what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the game's the okay. results. Yeah. He picks Georgia. Kiss my ass, T-Bone. Yeah! We'll get to that tomorrow. Suck it, T-Bone. I know you're listening. That audio you just heard was courtesy of the one and only. Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale on the broadcast for the Blues on Friday and Saturday night. A couple back-to-back games for the boys, and they get wins in both of them, Alex. More importantly, they looked good in both of those performances over the weekend. Yeah, they did. There was nothing fluky about it. They just flat-out outperformed each of the opponents that you went up against. And this was no, you know, you're not going up against, you know, San Jose. You're not going up against the Calgary Flames, who have no idea which way is up. Pittsburgh, who's... I think I'm faster on skates than some of those guys. You went up against two teams that have been, at worst, pretty good. At best, championship contenders when it comes to the New Jersey Devils. That's what they're expecting to be going into the season. Now, let's get it out of the way, because I'm sure we'll get it on the text line here in a minute. Yeah, Jack Hughes got hurt. You play who's in front of you. Yep. And there have been times this year, last year certainly, where it hasn't mattered who the opposition was. I told you last week, I don't care who's on the schedule anymore. I care about if the Blues are playing well. And over this weekend, they actually played well. All of the underlying numbers, it matched with the scores that you saw. They outscored New Jersey and Montreal by a combined score of 10 to four. And Alex, what I loved about the game, at five on five, they outshot their opponents. They outchanced their opponents. They had high danger chances that were eight to one in favor of them when Shin was on the ice. Overall, 
They had 10 or more high danger chances in each of those games over the weekend at five on five. Loved seeing what we saw from the Blues this weekend. Did you enjoy watching those over the weekend? You sound like you're about to be the captain of my hype train, and I'm all aboard that one, BK. I loved it. I, I mean, to me, the Montreal Canadiens game was more impressive than the New Jersey Devils win. And I'll explain why. Because you hear that, you're thinking, Alex, New Jersey is the Stanley Cup contender. Montreal's not that good of a team couple of reasons one that was the second of back-to-back games while the a team you were facing was waiting around for you and typically this blues team does not play well in back-to-backs when they're going up against somebody who's well rested the speed factor kills this blue team they dug down as deep as you can ask them to to find the momentum to play in that saturday game against montreal they outskated them they outplayed them they had more physicality than them they were the better team from start to finish and on top of it they were a very fast team. Montreal is one of the fastest teams in terms of overall players in the NHL. And I thought that was going to hinder them this season. Vancouver, Arizona, Colorado, Blues couldn't solve it. Montreal had no solution for the Blues and their speed got the best of them. So I was very impressed by both games. The main factor into all of this, look, the goaltending has been outstanding all season long. That's that's not cracked at all. Defensively, I know you've had some bad outings, Vancouver, Arizona specifically, but they've been tight and they've been playing the same minus a couple of games where they've broken down. But these two games, the amount of people that have been concerned about offense, and look, I was starting to fall into that conversation of like, this offense is a little concerning, whereas the game breakers... We saw that in both New Jersey and Montreal. In both games, they have good goaltenders. They've got good defenses. The Blues chemistry on their forward lines right now, really the five-man chemistry that's on the ice, seems as connected as we have seen in almost a year and a half. And that is massive for this team. If it took you 10 games to really get on the same page, hopefully this is your opportunity to be off and running now with that chemistry. I have no idea if it will be or not. No idea. But I know Craig Berube liked what he saw over the weekend. Here's what he had to say after the win on Saturday. Yeah, there's a better flow for sure. I think that's just from playing on your toes and being more aggressive, to be honest with you. You know, not thinking so much, but going, doing your job, you know, being aggressive. You, there's going to be mistakes, but I'd rather be aggressive. The aggressive and flow that he's talking about, BK, is everybody's chipping in on the offensive zone. I mean, we're seeing defensemen take the puck down below the net, which means your forwards are backing them up at the blue line. We're seeing guys taking shots from the blue line that are getting through with bodies in front of the net. This no longer is a team that we saw the first three or four games that were just waiting for their opportunities to come to them. They're creating their own offensive opportunities now because of the forecheck and because of the offensive zone aggressiveness. They... I would rather see you, and my football coaches used to tell me this when I played in Pee Wee, right? Oh, it, yeah, Pee Wee. It was the local accountant who also wore a hat on the sidelines with a brand new Were you new in hardball? Over. Was Keanu Reeves a part Pretty of your much, team? Pretty much, yeah, more or less. Nice. Um, you seemed like you were Shug Baby. That was his name, right? We're Fine. just going to keep on keeping on. It here. was. When I was playing Pee Wee football, and I was the, the water boy that doubled as the, the right tackle. Hold on. <laughs> Hold the bleep on. They six foot, 110 pounds soaking wet. You were a right tackle. I was five, three at the time. You know, the uh, late growth spurt. Um, <laughs> Yikes. The coaches always told us, hey, you guys are going to make mistakes. At least make them fast. Like if you're, if you're going to get somewhere that's wrong, yep. get there fast. And for the blues this year, a lot of what they've done, they've done it slow. 
It's slow puck decisions. It's slow losses in their own zone. It's just a slow bleed. On Friday and Saturday night, they were playing fast. It felt like finally for the first time this year, they said, you know what? Let's just go play. And like, if we lose, we lose. So be it. But we've been losing already and we're playing slow and it's been just this slog. Yeah. I hope that is something that sustains because when you watch them play that way, man, it's entertaining. If nothing else. Oh God, yeah. And for the first eight games of the season, this team was not entertaining. And I know they're not playing to entertain you or me. They're not clowns up there on a stage. But I do think it's helpful when you're playing an entertaining brand of hockey. I think it makes the environment at Enterprise Center a much better place to go play hockey games. And for much of this season, it has not been that way. And for much of the last couple of years, frankly, it hasn't been that way. So hopefully that's something that sustains. Last week, we asked Darren Pang, at what point during the season is it fair to say you know what a team is? Here's what he had to say to that question. I think it's quite easily middle of December to find out where your team is at, to be quite honest with you. And you can tell night in and night out if there's that if there's that togetherness and then there's that, that camaraderie to say we're going to do whatever it takes to sit together and play hard together. So I would say middle of December is the time that you figure that out. Alex, I thought we would be saying after 10 games we had a pretty good yeah, idea. BK gave them until this November week. 1st this and week. said that's it. I will not I will not accept any improvements. After that loss against Colorado, I said they gotta show me something this weekend or we know. We know who they are. Because last year through ten games, we didn't know it at the time, but, but we absolutely knew who the blues were. Yeah. And we felt like we were trending in that direction once again. Two straight losses, the New Jersey and then a back to back. Like, whew, this could get bad quickly. Instead it goes in the other direction. What they did it's like when you got taxes, Alex. Sometimes you can get an extension. You ask for an extension, you say, hey, I need a couple of months here. And the IRS either says, yeah, you can get it, or nope, we're denying that opportunity for you. I have accepted their extension request. That's where I'm so at. So you're the IRS in this situation? Yes, in this scenario, okay. not, not a surprise to anybody. That makes I'm the a lot of sense. Of the show. I am giving the Blues an extension on their homework. Yep. They get another three weeks of evaluation. I will give them until roughly Thanksgiving. You get until Thanksgiving. At that point, you will have played against Winnipeg, Arizona, Colorado, Tampa, San Jose, LA, Anaheim, Arizona once again, and then finally against Nashville. At that point, we will know who this team is. Those are a lot of the teams that are in the same range as you, kind of in this middle portion of the Central Division. I will know by Thanksgiving, I believe, who this team is. Uh, well, thank or I'll give him another extension. Well, we'll thank see. you, Mr. <laughs> IRS, for allowing me to work on my taxes for 10 more days. I, I Typically, as day, as parent Panger mentioned, like you, you do look at like December, middle of December. I think you've got the end of November. I think if you want a really good idea of what this team is, you're going to see it in the next three games. And I know I've said this a couple of weeks already where it's like, yeah, the next three games will get it for you. Look, October, we wanted to see certain, certain areas. I think October showed us defense can play offensively you wanted to see a little bit more but the three the next three teams you were going up against are the three teams that have beaten you so far this season it's winnipeg that you hung around with other than one mistake in the third period that let them off and run against you arizona where they just embarrassed you on home ice and then colorado that you hang around you hung around that game until the third period those three games if you're going to see this picture of the blues offensively defensively goaltending you're going to get a good idea if this offense is sustainable because if you just have this roller coaster where you're good for a game you're bad for a game you're good for two you're bad for two it's going to be that all season 
but three teams that just beat you that know how you play now you'll get to play them again and then after that i mean if you want to go further into november like the irs allowed us to <laughs> i mean you got your west coast road trip minus the san jose game you're talking about la anaheim and arizona and then you wrap up the month of november against three teams in the central for you so realistically at the end of november you could be talked about as the top of that middle tier that doug armstrong wanted to see this season i mean as of today by the standings they They're are third place team <laughs> they are literally yeah. at that spot as of today, if you go by points percentage, which is kind of what you have to do when all these teams have played a different number of games, you are the third place team in the Central Division. And so, yes, I have been up and down and up and down and up and down. So has the Blues performance. Like, I'm riding the roller coaster right along with the rest of you guys. I was skeptical as of last week. They got my attention. That's what happened over the weekend. I'm not all in. I am not ready to buy into what we I saw am. over the last two games. Let's go! But... They have my attention. They showed me something that I wasn't sure if this team was going to be capable of over the weekend. They won at five on five. Jordan Cairo looked like a star. Robert Thomas is finally shooting the puck in a way we've never seen from him in his entire career. Kapanen appears to be like finding himself again here yeah. in St. Louis. The goaltending has been outstanding over the weekend. I thought the defensive core played pretty darn well. Tori Krug showing signs of life. He and Justin Falk were a plus seven against Montreal. So for people that are frustrated with Krug and Falk, give them their roses. They played awesome in those two games. We're finally starting to see this team come together in a way that is meaningful against quality opponents. So they got my attention over the weekend. They need to hold it. And the way that they do that is by sustaining this level of play. Even if they lose, man, if you play the way you did over the weekend, I'm going to have so much more grace for you that way. But they've been getting their butts whipped in some of these games, at 5-on-5 five five in particular. So if they continue playing this way, I'll have a little more grace with some of the criticism of the team moving forward. Blues back in action tomorrow night against Winnipeg. Nice four-game homestand here for the Blues. Alex will have your pregame coverage right here on your home with the Blues 101 ESPN tomorrow starting at 6 o'clock. You guys can get involved in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to do exactly that. We'll get to questions and answers at the end of this hour. You guys can always watch us on YouTube as well. 101 ESPN STL is the place where you can find us. If you want to watch us there during the show, you can do that. If you want to go back after the show, you can do so. It's always podcasted that way. The podcast is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, coming up next, we got to talk about the Tigers, man. Missouri came as close as you can to beating a top five team on the road without actually getting the win in the end. We'll get into it and what it means long-term. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms and you can also find it on uappodcast.com we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn pump fake cook end zone caught Touchdown, Luther Burden the third, and Missouri strikes back. Cook rolls right. Oh, he threw it away, and it's picked off. 
Takes that Stackhouse to the 20. Stackhouse down to the 5. Georgia. We, we came here to win, not to keep it close, not to try to get it in the fourth quarter and see what could happen. We tried to win. We played to win and, and came up short. And, you know, don't regret the way any of the game played out. Came here and played to win and didn't quite get it done. Uh, I'm not deterred from what we're trying to accomplish this year. Hey, man, if you told me going into it that Missouri was going to have the ball down by six with nine minutes to play in the game with a chance to be able to take the lead on the road against a legit top five team in the country, I would have signed up for that in a second on Friday afternoon. That's exactly how it went alongside Alex and Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie T-Bone out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. That audio was audio was courtesy of CBS as Missouri loses on the road at Georgia 30 to 21. Alex, if somebody is looking for me to get mad and start yelling and screaming today about Missouri losing on the road at Georgia, it's just not going to happen. I don't have that in me. If I was doing this show the moment that the game ended, I would have been furious because it was frustrating as hell to watch the game that the, the way that that ended. But man, as you t- get get a little bit of time removed from yourself in that game, Missouri, there was nothing fluky about that game. It wasn't trick plays. It wasn't seven turnovers that went in their direction where it kept them in the game longer than they probably should have been. That was last year. Last year was a fluke, man. Missouri was not as good as Georgia. And when you looked at the actual stats from the game, you look back at it, you're like, man, I have no idea how that game was as close as it was. This was the opposite. Missouri went toe-to-toe against a top-five team in the country, and you can look at every stat, either the traditional numbers or the advanced numbers. Missouri was in a 50-50 game, and then they threw two picks. And one of them was as bad as you're ever going to see. I watched it 17 different times, I think, and I still Was that the defensive lineman? Yep, I don't yeah. know what happened. He was trying to throw it to his tight end and appeared to have missed the largest man on the field. And the tight end also was pretty heavily covered in that throw that he was trying yeah. to make. I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't know what he was seeing there. So was it a mistake? Yeah, but they were right in there against a top five team on the road. And that's really all you can ask for. You you want to get your shot against a team like that. They played really well. The running game was there. Cody Schrader was great. Brady Cook in the first half was awesome. He was poised as hell. Luther Burden made a play. Uh, Theo Weiss was making plays down the sideline. Like everything was right there for you. And the game was decided by two throws of the football and those two throws came from Brady cook. The first one's really what decided the game. And after that, it was over. That was it. I, I, I mean, I was, I was very pleased at how that game turned out, which is crazy to say, because you're frustrated. You want to win that game. You felt like you had a chance to win that game, but this is the difference between a number one ranked team that's undefeated and has been in the playoffs and won the playoffs where in the second half they unload and they can cut co- and they can clean up and vic- finish off that game. Whereas another team that's making progress isn't able to accomplish that. But you held Georgia to 10 points in the first half. Like that was the part that you looked at and said, man, second half, I think people were expecting that to be a three touchdown lead for Georgia where the game was over before they even went into halftime and they held down Georgia's offense. They found ways to get the turnovers and found ways to force the punts and they converted on their opportunities. I told you in the office when we were talking, the only thing was it just it felt like a different team in the second half. They they played toe to toe with them, but you just couldn't get those stops like you got in the first half. But again, that's the difference between a 9-0, and number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs team that's been there, done that, and a team that was 
never expected to be in this position. And a team last year, we were talking about firing the coach because yeah. they couldn't take the steps forward, and you went toe-to-toe and had a chance to win that game. I strangely feel better about Mizzou today than I did going into Saturday. Same. Like, I, I know that's a weird thing to say, and I there's probably some fans that are going to hear that, and it does not go over well with fans because I'm saying this coming off of a loss. But everything that we thought about Missouri was confirmed in that game against Georgia. Like, doing that against Kentucky is one thing. Doing that against Kansas State is another thing. Doing it against Georgia means that you can do it against anybody. I don't care who the opposition is. Missouri's really good. They're a top 20-ish team nationally and in this kind of a season when there is so much parity in college football and there's like I think five teams that kind of stand out and then everybody else is somewhere in that like six to 35 range they're all kind of jumbled up in the middle Missouri on any given day could beat any of those teams in that six to 35 unfortunately for Mizzou Georgia is in one to five they're in the one to five category they're better than just about everybody else and they do to everybody what they did to mizzou on saturday we got this text 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 702 guys you just got to find a way to win those kinds of game and games and missouri never does i mean gary pinkle made a career made a hall of fame career out of that kind of a performance yeah and what i mean is man occasionally and it's occasionally he would punch up He won, I think it was four games against teams that were ranked in the top 15 in his entire tenure at Mizzou. And guess what? He went to the Big 12 championship multiple times, went to the SEC championship multiple times. You just, you were right there on Saturday and you couldn't quite get the job done. So they showed you everything that you possibly could ask for. And then their quarterback made a bad mistake. It does not make Brady Cook, by the way, a bad quarterback. No. He played damn well in that game. Are you worried they're going to boo him again next time we get to another <laughs> home game? I've seen criticism of Brady where it's like, man, he for made one a bad, bad throw. Yeah, one bad he interception. He made a bad decision. And the rest of the game, he was awesome. He was, he was using his legs once again, finally. You saw him. He looked healthy in that yeah. one. The throw to Luther Burden was amazing. Some of the back shoulder fade stuff that they were running, it's the only thing you can do to beat that defense because if you throw to the middle of the field, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Just game over. He was perfect. Like, you can't ask for much tell me if Tell me if I'm crazy in thinking this way because after watching the outcome of the Georgia game last year, I felt like I always do. It's like Mizzou versus Georgia, you know what's going to happen. Even that they stayed toe-to-toe with Mizzou, or with Georgia last year in the first half, they they ished the bed and they lost. After watching them play that game, it feels like if you're in that same situation again next year, Mizzou has another opportunity to beat that Bulldogs team. I mean, maybe. like I just feel better about the program. I feel like you have a better team. I, I felt I, good about the program going into that game, though. Sure, fair, fair. But like, So I'm going to read you some of the numbers from last year's game against Georgia. You tell me if this feels close to you. Georgia, 481 total yards. Missouri, 295. Georgia held the ball for 35 minutes. Mizzou, 25 minutes. Georgia, 28 first downs. Missouri, 14. Like, this game wasn't close, but Georgia turned the ball over twice. Missouri turned the ball over zero times, and boom, that's how you get it to be. What it was actually a closer margin of victory for Georgia last year than what it was this year. The difference is this year, you turned the ball over twice. They didn't turn the ball over at all. That was a 50-50 game. If Missouri plays that game against Georgia 10 times, I think Mizzou wins three. 
on the road at Georgia, yeah. probably three, maybe four. And going into it, I thought it would be like once or twice. And the throws by Cook obviously fall under the spotlight. But one thing that the general audiences, guys, we haven't talked a lot about, the way in which the O-line this year, as opposed to last season, held up because you were assertive, yeah, assertive at times on both ends. And being able to do that and have a representative performance to be able to control the ball for prolonged stretches, that is the biggest difference to me because so many individuals were wondering heading into that game, okay, how is this offensive line, an offensive line that, mind you, especially in the first quarter of the season, dealt with a lot of self-inflicted wounds and fractions. You're in that tough road environment. Exactly. (laughs) What what are you going to do? But at the same token, you weren't completely overwhelmed by the superior size and the athleticism there. I remember early in Drink's tenure, one of the things that I was most critical of was their inability to go on the road and put up, like, even respectable look like a quality team yeah they, they would go on the road and it was like what are, what are you doing <laughs> and this year you go on the road at georgia and what is uh, we had lisa who texted us earlier today and was saying hey that's one of the best environments i've ever seen and i had a buddy that went down there as well said hey if you could go to one sec game go to georgia apparently the atmosphere was just absolutely incredible oh yeah over the weekend i've so, heard it's better than alabama i have too uh, it it seems like an awesome place to watch a football game. And Missouri went down there with 90,000 people in the stands and had them shook for a half. The end of the half, man, Georgia's offense was so out of sync yeah. that Kirby Smart said, mm, let's just go ahead and get to halftime here, boys. We don't need to run any plays here. Like, we're going to give the ball back to Mizzou because we would rather have our defense out there instead of allowing our offense to make a potentially critical mistake. Yeah. That is how well Missouri was playing going into the half. So uh, they they played really well. They didn't end up coming out on the other side. I wanted to respond to one other text. This one comes from the 636. Don't let them get to you, buddy. Don't, don't man. They're just going to bring you down. Guys, Gary Pinkle never won a conference championship while at Mizzou. We need to set our goals higher than what Gary Pinkle was able to accomplish. Is that serious? Like, is that a real text? Troller text. That's a real text. Yeah, it's a real text. That's real. Yeah, that's a, that absolutely is a real text. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same people that say John Mosaic like, hasn't won anything because those were Tony Larusa and Walt Jockety's teams. No, this is worse. This is far worse. <laughs> is it? The, the Cardinals have money. The Cardinals are a top ten market based on the fan base that they have <clears throat> in all of baseball. Missouri doesn't have the history of USC or Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma or Florida State. Like college football is about history. That is what it is. If you look at the teams that are top 10 in the country right now, and then you look at the teams that were top 10 in the country 35 years ago, there's a lot of overlap there. Why is that? Well, because of money, because of historical fan bases, because of recruiting base, like all of these different things. There are things that Missouri has to overcome because of its location, because of a lot of different reasons that these other teams simply do not have to overcome. And so if you want Missouri every year to be what Alabama or Georgia is, you are going to forever be unhappy because it's not going to happen. It's basically impossible to do that. But what Missouri can be, and I think we saw this with Gary Pinkle, and I hope that people have more appreciation for the Gary Pinkle era now than they did even while we were in it, you can go 8-4 every year. You can go 7-5 and five every year. And then every three to four years, you've got an opportunity to do what Missouri had this year, which is win 10-plus games, potentially get to the conference championship and take your shot in a one game scenario where you can get into the college football playoff. That's what Missouri is as a program. There is nothing wrong with that. Missouri is a top 25 to 35 program in all of college football. And when you are that 
That's what you can do. Look at what K-State did last year. K-State has had an opportunity to be able to go to the college football playoff, depending on how a couple of games broke in their direction. That's Mizzou. Mizzou's pretty similar to that. Like the ceiling for this program is this. This is it. You had a chance against LSU. If you pull away in that one, you have a chance to win 11, 12 games this year. You had a chance against Georgia. If you're able to finish things out there, you could go to the college football playoff. Like that's, that's it. But this is not an every year thing. We have to be able to understand that. We have to acknowledge it and we have to move forward with it. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. That's what Missouri is. Especially when you contrast that with the picture of just a few years ago, post Barry Odom, where you are right now, a little practical nature has to be enforced at some point. No. Think about it. Think about it. No, we don't do practical nature on this show. You've been restored to relevance. Now take the next step. Yeah. You're a top 25 team. Your top 25 team right now. Couldn't get Ryan Wingo to come over. <laughs> enough. Enough of you, Surprised man. he didn't commit to Georgia. Your top 25 team in the country right now. I think a top 20 program right now. And if you can continue to be that, I, I feel pretty good about where Mizzou football is. And occasionally here or there, you're going to have these peak years where you've got a chance to be able to punch up and beat two of the top programs in all of college football with LSU and Georgia. And if you do that, man, you're, you're talking about a special season that all of us are remembering for the rest of our lives. Here's the tough part. Doesn't end there. On Saturday, you got Tennessee coming in. This is a really good Tennessee team. Not a great one, but a really good one. I think that Missouri is constructed in a way this year to actually take advantage of what Tennessee does well and what they don't do well. We'll get into that more, though, at the later portions of this week. Coming up next, every national analyst, Alex, that I listen to is adamant that the Cardinals have taken their medicine. Are you guys believing it, though? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. So earlier today, Alex, there was a piece on ESPN.com about all of the top potentially free agents this offseason and where they expect them to go. St. Louis. They had all of their experts diving into this. Buster Olney was on it. Jeff Passan was on it. And here's what Buster Olney had to say when discussing Blake Snell and where he could eventually end up. He said, I think the Cardinals feel right here. St. Louis is desperate for help, and they seem to be more likely to overpay and overlook the concerns for Blake Snell, such as his walk rate. Other teams might be scared away due to the peripheral numbers, but the Cardinals aren't really in position to turn up their noses at a left-hander who has one, one Cy Young and will win another very soon, not when there are so many empty slots in their rotation. He is one of many national analyst that is connecting the Cardinals to all of the top pitchers in the market right now. Bob Nightingale said that the Cardinals are expected to be extremely aggressive this offseason, adding the Cardinals have traditionally stayed away from big money expenditures since the David Price saga. This year is different. They were embarrassed by their season the first time that they have finished last since 1990. And President John Mosellock vows to never let that happen again. Quote, they will be in on Nola. They will be in on Yamamoto and have told teams they're willing to use their outfield depth to trade for a starter as well. One general manager tells Bob Nightingale, quote, he is really, really motivated talking about uh, John Mosellock more than at any time I've ever been around him. And then there was this. 
from Ken Rosenthal, another nationally re renowned expert on the happenings around Major League Baseball on fair territory earlier today. The Cardinals have been vocal about this. They've said quite openly that they plan to address their rotation and in a big way. Could come through a trade, could come through free agency. Probably most likely will come through free agency. Blake Snell, likely National League Cy Young winner. Aaron Nola, who has excelled for the Phillies for quite some time. Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the 25-year-old Japanese sensation. Sonny Gray, he's a guy that's been linked to the Cardinals. Jordan Montgomery, a guy who's been linked to the Cardinals. Eduardo Rodriguez opted out of his deal with the Tigers. Marcus Stroman opted out of his deal with the Cubs. And Shota Imanaga, another top Japanese pitcher. Obviously, these guys are going to be in high demand because as one agent told me yesterday, he has identified six teams, and we just named three of them, who need at least two starting pitchers. Six teams. And of course, then there are the rest of the clubs that need starting pitching as well. So there's three national analysts, Jeff Passan, uh, Ken Rosenthal, Bob Nightingale, all saying they expect the Cardinals to be hyper-aggressive in the pitching market. Derek Gould, a local expert, in my opinion, when it comes to the Cardinals, said earlier today he expects them to be in on Aaron Nola. He expects them to be in on Sonny Gray. He expects them to be in on Yamamoto as well. Alex, from every corner, as we start the general manager meetings today, everybody is telling us this time it's going to be different. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Don't. Service text line. You're opening up Hell's Gate. You do that. Do you believe it? Do you actually believe this time is different? I, I believe that they're motivated. I, I believe that they realize they can't do what they've done in the past and say that we're going to upgrade our team and make these changes and then say, oh, well, we couldn't get it. So, like, that's the text we're, we're going to get. It's, wow, we hear this every year. Here's what we don't hear every year. Every national analyst around Major League Baseball confirming that the Cardinals are in on this because we talked about this in the office. Sure, we can sit here and act like they need to, and sure, you can hear the Cardinals front office say, well, yeah, payroll's going to go up next year, but don't look over at Adam Wainwright's payroll. But we also would get Jim Bowden on the air and say, yeah, you're going to get a catcher and a fifth starter and be happy with that. Maybe. Maybe. He's heading, maybe. Yeah. You might be able to get another starter. We get Jeff Passan on who's like, yeah, the Cardinals aren't doing anything. Other than a couple of analysts who are like, yeah, the Cardinals are connected. It's never to this point. I remember last year we talked to Andy McCullough, uh, who writes about baseball for The Athletic, and we asked him what he, th he thinks the Cardinals will do, and he said, I don't understand why they're not in the shortstop market. Can you guys explain this to me? And we were like, well, wait. We uh, don't understand why. We think why. there should be two. Do you think that? He said, no. Why aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, this is where it's at. So, do you ask me if I'm buying this? Yeah, I do buy that the Cardinals know that they have to be aggressive, and John Mozeliak is going to be very aggressive. Here's what I don't buy. Are you willing to be to the same level of aggressive as these other teams that are desperate to fix their pitching? Are you willing to be as aggressive as the Yankees, as the Dodgers, as the Phillies, as the Braves? Because if you're not, well, then you can sit here and talk about it all you want. But when all of those teams say, yeah, we'll give you eight years and $275 million because we want you to sign here. Well, are you aggressive or are you just, well, we want to be aggressive. We want to seem aggressive but we're just not going to go to that next level. So that's what I'm really curious about. And we've talked about this a number of different times, but I thought the fast lane said it perfectly of what, what is the bare minimum that you'd have to see for you to be content with what the Cardinals offseason looks like, where you're going to be optimistic heading into 2024. And I think for all of us, we're all kind of on the same page. They've got to get one of 
Nola, Yamamoto, or Blake Snell if the top for if the top pitcher that they add this offseason comes from the free agent market. And if it doesn't, if it comes via trade, you've got to fit somebody you've got to get somebody that would fit into that criteria. So you're talking about going out there and acquiring a Dylan Cease or a Logan Gilbert, somebody on that level. And that requires a lot. It either requires you to give up talent like a Nolan Gorman, who's a potential all-star that's going to hit 35 homers a year, or it requires you to give out the types of money that you have quite literally never spent in the entire history of the franchise. Those are the two options. You do something that is unprecedented, either via trade or free agency, or it's a flop. Yeah. That's the stakes this offseason for Cardinals and, and fans. You and it's fair. It's totally fair. And if you and see, this is the part that I will get frustrated with, is when you come out and you don't get Nola or Snell or Yamamoto and the trades aren't there because, hey, guess what? Teams don't want Dylan Carlson for their best pitcher available. I don't want them to say, well, guys, you want us to be aggressive. We were aggressive. We were in on all these guys. That's not what we want. We don't want you to say you're aggressive and not come away with anything. We want you to prove that you were aggressive. You proved it to me last year, knowing that your weakest area was catching, and you said, bleep it. We'll go out and get the best catcher available that we can afford. And I understand where they're coming from because the trade requests were just absurd for some of those catchers. And you did it. But now you are at a crossroads of your your trajectory you've got all of this youth developing in your system you've got all of the offense that you believe can be dominant back up your pitching and if you just say you were aggressive but yet another team outbid you by one year or another team added on an extra five million dollars aav but you said 24 million dollars a year is too much for our blood then you weren't aggressive you were just fake aggressive so there were two stories over the weekend and we'll get to our free agency roundup tomorrow on the show for the first time this offseason you're welcome everyone two stories over the weekend that i found interesting as they relate to the cardinals alex The White Sox decided to decline their $14 million team option on Tim Anderson. He was their starting shortstop. Teams believe that he is better at second base. He had a year from hell this past season. I thought they would pick that up and either start him at second next year or decide to trade him in the offseason. Instead, they decline it. They add up a a little bit of uh, money to their payroll potentially for this offseason and open up a spot on their 26-man roster for the middle infield. They do not have a starting middle infielder right now. They do have Dylan Cease, though, and the Cardinals have a lot of middle infielders, and they don't have a Dylan Cease, so that's something to keep an eye on. And they have a Luis Robert, 23-year-old star center fielder, you know? Sure do. Get that guy. They're going to have him next year as well. The other storyline that I found to be interesting over the weekend, the Padres declined a two-year, $16 million option on Nick Martinez. Now, for those that aren't familiar with the name, He was the guy that came over, I believe it was the same year that the Cardinals signed. It wasn't Miles Michaelis. Who was it that they signed coming over? Uh, Was it KK, maybe? 2022, they signed him. It was before that. I think it was like three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, so maybe it was, yeah, I mean, KK was the most recent one that signed, and I mean... Sungwon was he was playing in Texas Hill, so it had to have been KK. I, I want to say it was the same year that, that they signed KK, maybe. I, I don't remember. But the Cardinals were in on Nick Martinez when he came back over uh, from overseas. He is now a free agent. He has a 3.4 ERA over the past two seasons. He has thrown around 100 innings in each of those two seasons. He is the prototypical swingman coming out of your bullpen who can also make starts. 
He's appeared in 110 games over the last two years, Alex. 19 of those were of the start variety, kind of opener, if you will, like three innings. Oh, great. He's also had nine saves over the past two seasons. So he's got the stuff that plays up at the back end of your bullpen, and he can start games if you need him to. If the Cardinals end up adding two legit stud starters and they want to add one more guy that can start for them or can swing into your bullpen, Nick Martinez might be the ideal candidate to add to the back end of your pen. So two big stories over the weekend that kind of went under the radar in relation to the Cardinals. Tim Anderson declined their option for the White Sox and the Padres declining the option on Nick Martinez, who very well may end up being an ideal third pitching option for the Cardinals. The Nick Martinez one to me is really good for the Cardinals because it just adds more pitchers on that third player that they need to acquire tier. It was Verhagen, by the way. They signed Verhagen over Martinez. And honestly, what a great comp to who you're probably signing Nick Martinez for. You thought Verhagen was going to be this, but yet you know that Nick Martinez is capable of being this. So that is uh, what happened over the weekend. The Cardinals certainly have a lot at stake. They've got the general manager meetings beginning today. We'll give you any updates as they come here on BK and Ferrario. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll give you a couple of quick thoughts on St. Louis City SC, their loss over the weekend, unfortunately ending their season. And we'll get some of your questions. We'll have some answers next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. some questions and answers 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers let's start with this from the 636 pretty open-ended alex i'm wondering your thoughts about st louis city sc obviously a great start to the season the number one seed in the conference but it's hard not to be disappointed with the way that the season came to an end yeah i mean you could be disappointed i mean look you were swept out of the first round of the playoffs when you were the most dominant team in your conference all season so like it makes sense being disappointed but let let's not let that overshadow what you did in your inaugural season i mean that is massive to be that good i think for how frustrating it is like didn't we kind of see this happening i mean you didn't play the greatest in what the final eight to ten matches of the regular season and then i told you guys going into the playoffs I'm a little worried when you're a first place team and you sit around all fat and happy waiting for a team that had to grind into the playoffs in every single sport. It makes me concerned, but for, for, for a game like soccer, you got to imagine momentum is a serious thing. So it sucks. I wanted to see this be a historical inaugural season in the MLS. But again, let's not let this overshadow what you did this season. I had a couple of bets that came to an end over the weekend. I had City to win the Cup. I had Mizzou to win the East. I had Mizzou money line on Saturday. How are your your Jets and Bengals, though, going for winning their conferences? big game tonight. Big game for my Jets. All right, I root for the Chargers. If the Jets are able to pick up a W tonight, we're feeling real good about the parlay of the Jets and the Bengals to win their respective conferences at 85-1. to However, getting back to St. Louis City SC, they won two of their last 10 games, man. Two of their final 10 games going into the playoffs. Now, a lot of those were draws, but we always wondered, is this a matter of them just getting it back, flipping that switch, they get right back to their game, or was that something that was telling? And it was representative of whether it's teams catching on to the style or the St. Louis City SC running out of gas whatever it was and i think we learned it was the latter and they ran into a really hot sporting kc yeah. team you know Did, like sporting's been awesome since may 1st and i think i undersold that going into the playoffs 
And obviously it ended up showing up. Did, did the underdog mentality get lost? Like, because that's the one thing that it never really happened to Vegas, even though Vegas was so dominant that first year in the NHL. Like it just always felt like the players realized that they were, they were, they were, um, you know, misfits on a team try, that nobody expected to do that. Did that disappear for city? The deeper they got into their season. So man, I think it's just hard to win consistently because it's I feel really like hard, but, but that's a hard thing to hold on to. And like, that's, that's your driving force all season. And then if you lose that to where you realize like, Hey, we're the toughest team that anybody you play against. That doesn't drive you the way it drove you the first couple of months maybe, of the season. Maybe there's something there. I mean, it's possible. I would say that for me, I, I think a lot of what happened is a lot of these guys came over and this is a really freaking long season and it includes a lot more travel. And, you know, I'm the last one that's going to give travel as an excuse. A lot of the guys that came over to play for city had never played a United States travel <laughs> schedule. And a lot of the leagues that they're playing in over in Europe, and it's like a, a one hour flight everywhere that you go. Yeah. And, and here in, in your inaugural team, too, that's getting used to how yeah. this works. I mean, you're traveling three and a half hours to the east or the west coast regularly. It's just a different schedule than what a lot of these guys are used to. And some of them were still playing for their home countries as well during the season. It's, it's just a lot. And so I, I think there's some of what you're talking about for sure, the, the mentality of it all. I think some of it is the league adjusted to them and oh, they didn't have a counter. I think some of it was injuries that accumulated over the course of the season. I think some of it was as those injuries took place, they became a different team because Sam Adinaran became a, a big time piece. Nico became a big time piece. They added some pieces on the fly. Their um, their outside backs in this game didn't go well. They made some changes to the lineup. I think there was a lot, a lot that went into it. And ultimately it resulted in them to just not playing well in the final month of the season final two months of the season yeah. really september 1st on it just they didn't look like the same team all right coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll get an nfl quick hitters some of the biggest storylines coming off of the week that was in the nfl including as of today alex who would you say is the best team in the afc we'll chew on that for about 15 minutes but next star might have been born over the weekend for the st louis blues alex has the numbers to back it up next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Blues keep clear. Now they do. They get it to Shin. Partial break. He shoots and he shoots it wide of the goal. Now with Saad in front. Back door to Cairo. He scores! Jordan Cairo. And the Blues take a one nothing lead. One minute, 24 seconds into the first period. Alongside Alex and Grant. Uh, Grant, jeez. It was bound to happen Not at a, some point. I didn't think it was going to be Grant. That yeah, I was, was going to say, you. Tanner's typically the one that uh, he's here. That gets thrown out. <laughs> Alongside Alex and Bradford Bruns, who's doing a fantastic job working the board for us today. I'm Brandon Kylie. I am Ron Burgundy. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like on Saturday night as the Blues get a goal by Jordan Cairo. And Alex, Jordan Cairo has been awesome this year. I know the goal production isn't as high as probably we would like to see it thus far, but he's getting shots on goal. He's getting opportunities on breakaways. And if he continues playing this way, those goals are going to come, man. I'm not in any way, shape or form worried about whether or not he has the shot to be able to produce at a meaningful level. We saw last year when he had, what was it, 37 goals at the end of the season? Mm -hmm. 
This is a guy that has the potential to be a 40 goal scorer in the NHL, and he's a really good distributor as well. When you combine those two skills and you start seeing the defensive minded play that we've seen this year where he's back checking, he seems to be playing more of a well-rounded 200 foot game. All right. This is what we were all waiting for. This is the step that we thought he could potentially take. We asked on Friday, do the Blues have the star power that they need? Are they lacking that elite level talent that all of the contenders around the NHL seem to have? We starting to see it? Yeah, we are. Uh, As uh, Lady Gaga said, a star is born, BK. Did she say it? She probably didn't say it. She was just in the movie. Look, Jordan Cairo, I was skeptical with this, that he's like the star that you talk about in the NHL because consistently consistency is the most important thing when it comes to being a star because on a nightly basis you know that he's going to get it done and we've seen at least in the short version of his career there are phases that you just disappear of Jordan Cairo and in past years he's a one-trick pony that if he's not scoring goals and that disappears why are you throwing things right now I'm trying to get to my point when 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 his goal scoring disappears There's nothing else he can provide to the team. That's changed right now. Now you're seeing him back check. Now you're seeing him break up plays, which is resulting in more offense. But here's where it really got me. I did a BK deep dive. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to give you some names, and you tell me if you consider these guys stars in the NHL. Elias Pettersson. Yes. David Pasternak. Just to clarify, star versus superstar. Just star, right? Star. Yeah. Star, you can Uh, superstar. Uh, Artemi Panarin. Yes. William Nylander. Yes. Clayton Keller. Of course. Kirill Kaprizov. Yes. Vladimir Tarasenko. At one point, yes. Jack Hughes. Yes. Alex Dabrinkit. Yes. All of those guys, with the exception of Kirill Kaprizov, who came over to the NHL when he was older uh, than Jordan Kyrou, but every one of those players that I just mentioned to you reached 200 points later in their career than Jordan Kyrou. Jordan Kyrou hit 200 points in 226 games played. Pedersen did it in 230, Pasternak did it in 250, Panarin at 228, Nylander 281, Tarasenko 253, Jack Hughes 241, Alex Dabrinka 255. Interesting. The offense has been on the same level as these stars in the NHL. Defensively, you're getting more, and he's creating more noise. He's got 39 shots on goal in 10 games, which is 25, 25th best in the National Hockey League. And he's played, with the exception of four guys, two games less than a majority of these players. So for everybody that says, well, Jordan Kyra is not a star, you need a real star. He's playing like one right now. And you're seeing the fruits of that labor on both ends of the ice in that game Saturday against Montreal. His stardom broke out because not only did he get one goal, his line created seven points in that game. A lot of that was because of Jordan Kyra. So if Jordan Kyra was producing at a level like he has in previous seasons so what i mean by that is connecting on shots at the same level as he did in previous years you would expect him to have roughly five goals so far this oh yeah he said what three breakaways this season so he has a five percent shooting percentage Mm -hmm. on the season his career is 13 percent, and that's been pretty static like he is at uh 14 14 and 14 each of the last three seasons so right around there if he was at a 13 to 14% shooting percentage this year, you'd expect him to have five. He has two instead. If he had five goals and four assists through the first 10 games of the year, we would all be sitting here saying to ourselves, okay, so he's a point per game player again, 
and we're starting to see the defense there. They're trusting him on the ice. He's at 18 and a half minutes per game. Two years ago, I remember having the conversations with you, Alex, about why won't they play him? He's playing Yakub Verona minutes. He was at 16 minutes two years ago. Before that, he was at 14 minutes. He's basically getting an extra like five, six, seven shifts a night now. I, I think we're starting to see what the Blues told us was coming by Jordan Cairo. Now, he has to continue this. Somebody on the text line said, guys, there's still more improvement that can be there with him defensively. Absolutely. There is. I didn't think he could get here. I was going to say, these are the steps we wanted. I I didn't know he was capable of this. I thought Jordan Cairo was just, this is what he's always going to be, and it's okay that this is what he is. We just have to accept it. Well, he decided... I don't like when people are criticizing me like this. Right. Like he got very frustrated about it, and he made it known how frustrated he was. He didn't even want to talk about it coming into the season. So he did something about it. He decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to be the player that everybody tells me I can be. And guess what, man? We've seen it through the first 10 games of the season. The numbers you just gave, that's real. That's tangible. That's something you can latch on to. He is producing at the level that other stars did early on in their respective careers. That is something that changes the trajectory of what we think this can be. And you know what's what's even more impressive about those numbers for him is he's doing it without another star with him. Like Robert Thomas is getting there and you hope he is a star. But like, listen to those names that I listed off to you. David Pasternak has played with Brad Marchand basically his entire career. Artemi Panarin, the majority of his 200 points came by playing with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in Chicago. William Nylander, you're playing with uh, Austin Matthews. Clayton Keller, not really a star on his line, but they play like it with Nick Schmaltz. But Jack Hughes, I mean, has been a number one overall pick. Alex Dabrinkit played with Patrick Kane. Like, who's Jordan Cairo accomplished these 200 goal or 200 points with? Like, he's accomplished it with Robert Thomas, who, in my opinion, can get to that star level. Pavel Buchnevich, who's been there. Tarasenko, who was there. Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shent. Like, he's not doing it with other guys who are considered stars or superstars. He's doing this as the star on the team. And that's another impressive feat. So somebody on the text line said, guys, do you have any of the numbers on Kairou's uh, defensive improvement compared to last year? He's been great, but I would love to hear contextually what the difference is. So this is something that's really hard to do in hockey. Yeah, there's there's almost sites for this. Th- there's almost no way to numerically show you the improvements defensively. I can tell you what the shots are for and against defensively when Kyrie's on the ice. I could do all these different things for you, but that is more of indicative that is more indicative of what happens while he's on the ice in the five man unit what is taking place with him than it is on Jordan Kyrou specifically. So it's really hard to numerically show you what has changed in his game. What I can do is tell you that when you guys watch the games, you can see it. Mm-hmm. You you can just you can feel the presence of Jordan Kyrou on the ice when he's out there defensively. You don't forget that he's out there as the Blues are hemmed into their own zone or as he's out there either on the forecheck or more more reasonably on the back check. You notice him. And if you're noticing Jordan Kyrou defensively in a good way, that's all you have to do. That's it. Notice him a few times a game defensively in a positive direction, and that is a significant improvement from what it's been in recent Absolutely. years. That's that's how you can 
evaluate him in my eyes. And he has been going toe-to-toe with some of these other top players in the league. That New Jersey Devils game, it was his line that was playing against, I know Jack Hughes was gone, but it was his line that was playing against uh, Jesper Bratt and Timo Meyer. The Montreal Canadiens game, his line was going up against Cole Caulfield's line. So, like, you're seeing him get more responsibilities. He was doing that with Robert Thomas at the beginning of the season, and now that he's playing with Braden Shen and Brandon Saad, you're getting ideal matchups on the offensive side, but you're getting the play where you're eliminating the other side this is interesting you seen what i've seen there's some big baseball news that we need to get to on the other side craig council is going to manage next season he will not be managing the mets he will not be managing the brewers he will be managing a team that currently has an existing manager so, so we'll discuss it ooh. next here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I can't believe I care this much about where a manager is going to be in 2024. That's not including I the Cardinals. I, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> But it does. The greatest tweet that I just saw says, I've never cared more about Craig Council since I was a kid trying to emulate his batting stance. So Craig Council is one of like four managers that really matters in Major League Baseball. I think he he changes the calculus for whether or not your team's going to be successful. And there are very few managers that I could really say that about. Most of them, the, the vast majority, at least for me, Alex, and I know there are others that disagree with this stance. That's fine. We can all have our own beliefs on this. But... I think like 20 of the 30 managers are somewhere in the middle where they don't really change it for a positive or a negative. They just kind of are there and they're caretakers and then you hire the next guy and then you continue moving along. There's five, though, that really matter and they make your team tangibly better. I think council's in that category. And then there's like five every year that make your team so bad that you can't win. Like you're you're either winning in spite of them or losing because of them. So I think that's kind of the way that I generally view the position. If you haven't been paying attention on Twitter today, I get it. Craig Council has been discussed as a candidate in seemingly every potential opening around Major League Baseball for the managerial spots. Well, earlier today, Cleveland, which was one of the rumored landing spots for Council, hired their new manager. It's going to be Stephen Vogt, the former catcher in Major League Baseball. He spent one year off. Now he's going to be the new manager of the Cleveland Guardians. Well, okay, that probably means that Craig Council's going to the Mets, right? That's been the rumor. It's either he's going to the Guardians, he's going to the Mets, or he's staying in Milwaukee. Well, then the Mets hired their new manager. It's the former Yankees bench coach. Okay, obviously that means Craig Council's going to be announcing that he's staying in Milwaukee. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Ken Ken Rosenthal then tweets out, Craig Council will manage next season, but it will not be the Brewers and it will not be the Mets. He is heading to a team that has an existing manager. We just went through this during the break, Alex. The only team I can think of that makes sense, I think it's one of three, actually, but I I think there's one that really makes sense. I think it's got to be the Yankees because they had a season kind of similar to the Cardinals, but not as bad, where it was unacceptable and everybody wanted Aaron Boone fired. So I could see where that would happen. The other two spots that I would look at are the Blue Jays after how their season came to an end and their GM came out and publicly criticized their manager for their handling of that, or the Red Sox, where Alex Cora has 
said publicly that he was kind of questioning whether or not he wanted to be a manager again moving forward. And there's been some talk about him moving to the front office. They just hired their new Pobo. Maybe that's the one. But I think the Yankees are, for me, the most likely landing spot. Where do you fall? Can I give you two more? Because I just looked at this just to kind of, what if it's the Seattle Mariners or the Philadelphia Phillies? Now, the Philly sounds odd because we're talking about a team that had a chance to win a World Series. That would shock me. It would, but, I mean, if you're talking about finding the ability to take your team to the next level, wouldn't it be a manager that makes a difference with a team that's already a difference maker? And we know that, like, the Phillies don't care how much money they got to throw at somebody. And I only say the Mariners because the Mariners have all of this young pitching. You've got a guy who had the best pitchers in baseball with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and had success. And if you're the Mariners, you missed out on the playoffs. What if you get yourself a manager? Like the Yankees seem to be the most obvious out of all of these because you just lose your bench coach. You've been verbally frustrated with Aaron Boone for like three straight years. And you know that the Yankees could say, yeah, we're not going to let you go to the Mets. We'll give you more money. So you come here. But the Phillies and the Mariners kind of piqued my interest because these are two teams that say, hey, we need to find a way to get to that next level. Let's go get a manager that makes this much of a difference. Somebody else mentioned the Dodgers. You don't get rid of Dave Roberts. They said Dave Roberts is going to be back next year, so I'd I'd be pretty surprised by that, but somebody's lying. Like Somebody said at the end of the season our manager's returning and then said, wait, Craig Council's an option? Let's go get him. Like let's, Let's go make that move because Craig Council matters. If you get Craig Council, it makes everybody on your pitching staff, to your point, Alex, that much better. So, obviously, somebody ended up telling a little bit of a white lie here because they didn't expect this to be the case. Somebody else asked about the Astros. If that is the landing spot, then they would... It can't be the landing spot because it it was said there's already a manager in place and their manager retired. Mike Petriello brought this one up. He said, what if that they're going to hire a Craig Council so that they can move their existing manager into a front office role? That's what I'm saying. You're not moving Aaron uh, Aaron Boone to a front office role. Well, I, I mentioned the the Red Sox could be that team. Alex Cora is going to be moving into a potentially into a yeah, front office make, role. But if you're Craig Council, why would you want to go there? I, I have heard through the grapevine that the Red Sox are expected to be highly aggressive this offseason. I was told by somebody that has been in the know on some of the moves that have taken place transaction-wise. Like He was the one that told me a month in advance that Brady was retiring and that Rodgers was going to be on, on the Jets. Uh, he knows some agents that apparently the Red Sox are a legitimate option for Shohei Otani. So if you know Shohei's coming or you have an, a good idea that Shohei has a greater than 50% chance of being there, I guess that would make me interested in the job. Hey, Everyone's you, asking Cardinals, can we, are we going to nip this in the bud and say, like, this isn't happening? Your silence is alarming to me. I don't think I can nip anything in the bud right now because I, I have no idea. I mean, look, it, and I'm not speculating here. I, well, I am speculating here. I know nothing with this. But so like, let's do this. Let's put this out there on the front end so that way we don't get in trouble. Everything that is about to take place in our conversation is reckless speculation. Yeah. All right, Alex, you're good. If you want to be aggressive and you're John Mosellock, this is being aggressive, right? This is this is to the point where you say like, hey, we want to win. We, we appreciate what Ali has done, but this manager takes us to the next level. I don't know how you do it in terms of firing another manager after you fired one previously. Oh, I think it's, it's very easy to sell. It's not oh, hard to well, sell Everyone's on board with it, but does it? Yeah. Uh, th- I mean, that's my that's my tinfoil theory with it. Like, you, if you want to be aggressive and you're making it say, we are not having another season like we just had, you bring in a manager who has literally squeezed every inch of juice out of that Milwaukee Brewers team that you've been able to with a lackluster roster around it. Yeah. I mean, that's how you sell it. 
it's a super easy sell. Hey, this guy's the best manager, arguably, in all of baseball. We just hired him. Full stop. Like, that's it. You don't... I, I have been a vehement defender of Ali Marmol over the past two seasons. I thought he was excellent and was arguably the best manager in the National League in 2022. I was called a homer for that, but I, I genuinely believed it. I thought he was average this year, that he was okay. And I would not fire Ollie. If you have the opportunity to hire a guy that makes your team better, and he is this level of making your team better, I mean, you at least explore it. And if he says, I'm interested in coming to be the manager there, you you don't just explore it. You you go do it, you know? like I, And this is not me call. Oh, wow. I've got the team. It's, uh, it's, it's not an Cardinals. NL Central team. I, I, it, frankly, we should have said this one. So this is what I said to you during the break, and then I kind of mm-hmm. came off of it. The Cubs are hiring Craig Council. Wow. Well, there's a slap in the face of the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, we want you here. 101 ESPN breaking news. There you alert. go. Uh, it's official, according to Ken Rosenthal. Craig Council is going to be the next manager of the Chicago Cubs. Cubs are officially a threat. Yeah, and now they've got all of the money to spend to go get Shohei Otani, bring back Cody Ballinger, sign some of these starting pitchers. This is. This is the best decision that the Cubs could have made. Yeah, the Cubs are officially a team worth taking seriously. Yeah. And they already had a good team this past season. They decided that they're not going to bring back Marcus Stroman. Now, he was the one that declined his option, but it came about roughly an hour later. The Cubs are not expected to explore a reunion with him. Uh, They are bringing back Kyle Hendricks on a one-year $16 million option. They picked that up over the weekend. I would expect the Cubs to be highly aggressive in free agency this offseason. If you're doing this, I would assume Cody Bellinger probably going to be back with them oh, yeah. uh, next year. I would assume that they are going to go out and make significant upgrades to that rotation. Like, I would say one of the top starters, Yamamoto, Snell, or Nola, mm-hmm. it should be expected to end up in Chicago this offseason. Damn. Damn, man. That is a big-time move by Chicago, and... Not only are you hiring him, that is way worse than firing Ollie, man. Ollie is respected here. Ollie is appreciated here. Ollie is a guy that never played here, though. David Ross was that's he was Uncle a World Rossi, Series man. champion <laughs> with that team. That is, they literally make t-shirts of him. That is bold. They love that dude in that clubhouse. I mean, love him. It's also bold for council to like go to a another team in the NL Central when Milwaukee has basically said like, "Hey, we we need you here," and Damn. it's the team you wa- you came through, you went up through the organization, and basically said, "Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm going elsewhere." Wow! Can you? Im- I wonder what. Man. I'll, I'll tell you what. This division is so much more intriguing now to me. Oh hell yeah! Like Milwaukee's going to blow it up. Let's move on from that. But now you've got the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Cincinnati Reds. Cubs cards could be back. Yeah. Oh, I I can already tell uh, you they're back. You know what's going to be super fun is if those guys, those two teams, are in on a bidding war for one of the top free agent starters. And welcome to going back to what we talked about earlier. You cannot say you're aggressive. You have to show you're aggressive. They just showed in this NL Central that yeah, we're not going to be this team anymore. Time for you to show up. That's a power play right there. Yeah. That is a, we're not comfortable. They took their shot and it went in. <laughs> they actually took a shot. Yeah, well, that's true. It just wasn't blocked.
man, wow, uh, is is he officially one of the biggest villains in Milwaukee now? Oh like, yeah. If you're a Brewers fan, you got to be furious. That man right? is hate, he is the number one hated. Per- I don't know much about Milwaukee sports, but I don't think of another athlete that's hated more than Craig Council now. Now that Giannis has committed, yeah. to the franchise long term, uh, they're good. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The ante just went up. Yeah. The ante just went up in the NL Central. Suddenly, the the Cubs just announced with this move. Really, they announced it with the Dansby Swanson edition last year, but officially with this move, we're ready to win again. This is a big time decision. Yeah. To to fire a sitting manager who had been successful for your organization both as a player and now as a manager. And to do so, to go hire the guy that everybody believes. And this is why I said with Ollie, like, you can't just completely dismiss it outright. I can't even do that. The Cubs just did basically what we're talking about, where they said, hey, we got a manager that we like. Can we go get one that we love? And now they have one that they absolutely adore. And he's probably going to be the highest paid manager in the sport. And he's worth it. Yeah. And he's going to make a difference for that team. And I, I completely forgot about the the Juan Soto rumors, too. They're probably going to try and acquire Juan Soto. I wonder if they, I wonder if they do like a Juan Soto trade or Tatis trade. That's the one that nobody's talking about. That I wonder if maybe oh the Cardinals should could do that a thing. Would you consider it? Hell yeah! If they said you got to include Walker in the deal, sure. Really? Yeah, I mean the one's a superstar now. I, I like the makeup for Walker a little better. Fine, but makeup's not like actually here. I mean. He, he's good. I, I think Walker is already... I, I hear you. I hear you. I, I'm not... I'm just saying, like, it's it's tough to trade a guy that you think is going to be the future of your franchise for a guy that was just suspended for PEDs. Yeah, when's that ever going poorly like, for the Cardinals? a million issues inside of the clubhouse. I, I don't think that's going to be something that the Cardinals gotta, would even consider. You got consider. a clubhouse that can handle it now. Man, what a move. Yeah. What a move by them. Good for them, man. I, I mean, like... The Cubs basically were irrelevant for, what, a few years and said, we're not doing this anymore. I mean, how many teams are irrelevant for a couple of years and say, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go through this again. We'll be bad for eight plus years and then get some help and then we'll be good again for a couple of years. They basically said, no, we have all of the resources available to us. We've got some good players on our team already. Go get the best manager possible and go start spending some money. They said we are not going to be irrelevant anymore. Your move, Mo. To do this on day Crap. one of the GM meeting. Checkmate. Awesome. Checkmate. No. Just check. Oh, it's coming, checkmate. The queen is in the corner right now, and Rook and King are circled around. Wait, for those King's that, in the corner. Queen and Rook good, are circled around. I hate chess. For those that are just tuning in, uh, if you missed it, the news of the day is that all of the managerial musical chairs are starting to be filled. Uh, the first move this morning was that the Cleveland Guardians hired their new manager. It's going to be Stephen Vogt. That was our first hint of, okay, that was one spot that Craig Council was looking at. It's now filled. The Mets then made their decision. It was announced, hey, the Mets have hired their new manager. It's like, okay, I'm assuming that that's going to be Craig Council. Nope, wasn't him. It was Mendoza, the former bench coach for the Yankees. Then it was announced that Craig Council is going to be making his decision later on this afternoon. My assumption, Alex, was, okay, so the Guardians are closed. The Mets are closed. He hasn't interviewed anywhere else publicly. He's going back to Milwaukee. Awesome. Good on Milwaukee for being able to keep him there. And then it was announced that he wasn't going to be staying in Milwaukee and would instead be hired by a team that has a sitting manager. That team is the (laughs) Chicago Cubs. And kicked their World Series uh, player off of the roster and said, see ya. Man. Good for them.
Well, coming up next. Can't wait for this upcoming Cardinal season. We're going to talk some NFL, Alex. Oh, yeah? Huh? Who's the best team in the AFC right now? Is it the Ravens? None of them. We'll get into that coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. As you just heard there in the update, big news today in Major League Baseball is that Craig Council has spurned the Milwaukee Brewers. Alex, I was just listening to some Milwaukee sports radio. We'll get to some of what I heard tomorrow. We'll play it back for you guys because I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, they're not happy. <laughs> they're they're not thrilled that the manager that they had that they loved that was Milwaukee through and through has decided to go to a bitter rival. So uh, not ideal day for the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll get into that more later on in the show today. Again, the big news, the Chicago Cubs have hired what I believe is the best manager in all of Major League Baseball and have announced their presence at the beginning of the offseason. Let's get into some NFL quick hitters coming off of a big week in the league. Alex, there were four legitimately compelling games yesterday, and then you just pretended that the rest never happened. This is the first week that I strictly watched one of the big networks games from start to finish. That's I did the it way to go. from 8.30, 12 o'clock, 3.30, then the night game. That's the right way to go yep. about it. First question that I've got for you after watching all day on Sunday. Who's the best team in the AFC? I think it's the team that I shat on for the first five weeks of the season. Go there. I, I mean, I can't take it away from it. First of all, I never doubted their defense. I thought their defense was the best in the league, minus the Dallas Cowboys, until they lost Diggs. And when they lost Diggs, then game over for them. But they were best from start to finish. Their offense was what I was concerned about. And they proved me wrong. These last three weeks, they've shown that they have a capable red zone offense. They've got a running game again. Mark Andrews is now relevant. And Lamar Jackson stopped making stupid mistakes. I think they've got one of the best coaches in the AFC with Harbaugh. So it's pretty obvious that it's the Ravens. Is it weird, though, that like the top two teams in the AFC don't include the Chiefs or the Dolphins? Because oh. I think the second team is the Bengals. Interesting. I think Joe Burrow is showing that he's healthy. And, I mean, now you're talking about a team that's that's – won four straight games like the two best teams in the AFC have not come from the AFC West I think that's fair I think there are legitimate questions right now about the Chiefs wide receiver core I would have the Bengals as the best team in the AFC currently and the reason why is because Joe Burrow is now healthy the defense looks like it did a year ago. We've known this team to be a notoriously slow starter in recent years, and that was before Joe Burrow had a calf injury. In the last three weeks, they beat Seattle, they beat San Francisco, they beat Buffalo. Can't be a whole lot more convincing than that. Nope. The offense looks awesome once again. It looks like Mixon is back to being his former self. He, lo he looks fresh and spry once again. I think I would have the Bengals number one. I would have the Ravens number two. And then I would have the Chiefs at number three, personally. That would that would be the way that I would go with this. But if you want to put those teams in any category, one through three, I, I get it. I understand it. Same with T. Higgins, too, right? Basically mm -hmm. invisible for the first quarter of the schedule. Yesterday looked much more like his usual self. And yeah, it may have taken a while, but Cincinnati now churning on all cylinders. All right, next thing as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Guys, if you were starting a team today, how many quarterbacks are you taking over C.J. Stroud? Because what he did yesterday with it was nothing short of remarkable. Are you talking rookie quarterbacks? Nope. All quarterbacks. Because I think I've got three. Mahomes, Burrow. Yep. yep. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. 
I love Jalen Hurts, man. He's he's just so awesome. Yeah. That guy is an absolute warrior, and I would want him to be the leader of my franchise. Like that, I, I'm building around that. I don't think he's been as good this year as he was last year. He's still been pretty darn good, and the rest of the quarterback play around the league hasn't been great this year either. So those would be my top three. We can throw some conversations out there beyond that. But I don't think you need to. I, 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 I think C.J. Stroud, for me, would be the fourth highest rated guy. I'd probably have Stroud above Hurts. Okay. Just, I... I you're even willing to go one step further than me. Yeah, I. I mean, He's I, thrown one interception this year. I know. One. I've talked about. I talked about Stroud in the draft. I'm like, guys, Bryce Young is going to be a bust, and CJ Stroud is going to be that guy. Now, I'll give you credit. Like Anthony Richardson looked like that guy until he got injured, but. Okay, C.J. Stroud has everything. He's got the mobility. He's got the sense to be able to make the plays downfield, and he's got the arm to do it. As much as I love Jalen Hurts, and I do like Jalen Hurts, but he's got a great offensive line in front of him that keeps him on his feet and gives him time, and he's got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Totally fair. Guys, who the hell is C.J. Stroud throwing to? Exactly. Tank good. Tank down, <laughs> Noah Brown, and, but, and Nico Collins. I, so the Noah Brown one, totally fair, because I've been complaining all year about the Chiefs not having wide receivers. Do the Chiefs have better or worse receiving options than the Houston Texans? You maybe, guys tell me. Maybe they got a worse quarterback option. I, I don't think that's the case. Oh, um, are you I'm, sure? Yeah, are I'm you go sure? Out I'll, I'll take Patrick Mahomes. You take, <laughs> you take the side of CJ Stroud over Mahomes. Talk I'll to me in five years, one. and I might be uh, rooting for myself. But Beyond Rice and Casey, everybody's open for criticism. That's the thing. So, like, I don't know, man. Um, I think he's right up there. It, I'm unwilling to accept an answer that includes C.J. Stroud currently being over Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. I'm unwilling to have the conversation. If you want to have it about anybody else, I'm here for it. I, I just... He's awesome. He was a gamer in that game. And, like, I... I expected that one to just be done for when Baker Mayfield drove downfield, but the fact that... What did he have? Like, 43 seconds with no timeouts? And that man was heaving it. Now, props to his receivers for getting open because apparently they can't do that in KC right now. But yeah, I mean, he he is he is now the guy that everybody in that draft is like, son of a, what did we do? Dude, the Panthers messed us up so bad. Oh my God, yes. I, I don't know what you do if you're the Panthers because their quarterback is terrible. Bryce Young is not good. And I don't know if it's going to get any better. And people will text in. I'm sure it's coming. 314-399-9646. But BK, look at their receiving options. Yeah, we just talked about this. What about their receiving options? They've got Adam Thielen, who's been awesome this year. And when they had a different quarterback, their receiving options looked fine. Wait a second. I thought two or three weeks ago, this was the team going all in in that division. Yeah, I, I had no issues with yeah. their receivers whenever it was Andy Dalton in there. Yeah. Bryce Young is averaging five and a half yards an attempt. That would be good for a running back. He's a quarterback. I'll take that for some this of my running backs. This must be a more backs. valuable way to go about things, and instead it's the opposite. Someone texted it's in brutal. and said, also would take Allen, Lawrence, Lamar, and Herbert over C.J. Stroud. I'm willing to listen to the discussions about Lamar or Lawrence. I will not have you the discussions about Josh Allen. If you want to text in and talk about whatever it is that you want to when it comes to Josh Allen, I will tell you that I'm not he's a loser. <laughs> He's a loser. Personally or professionally? Professionally. Okay. Oh I think personally seems like a great guy. You can't know. win anything with that guy as your quarterback. No, you can't. You, you He's not consistent enough. I, I'm not having the conversation over Trevor Lawrence. I, I mean, maybe like long term, CJ Stroud showed me more in that game. Really, this. You just said it. He's given one interception up this year. It is not even about just him. It's the weapons that he is throwing to and being competent. It's he's, all of it. He's, he's, he's right in the race right he, now with that team. He has one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And he's still making and these he's plays. He's getting crushed. 
and he is just like play yeah. after play after play looks like the best dude on the field and for some of the greats who have played at that position you think about how much importance is placed on that intangible quality elevating the talent around you statistics aside we already know that he's on pace yeah. for one of the best rookie campaigns ever but that's what he's doing right he's now with the dearth a single of weapons. Se- or single game record for a rookie in yards thrown somebody on the text line Guys, pump the brakes on C.J. Stroud. They've played the Bucks, Panthers, Falcons recently. Not exactly Super Bowl teams. Well, also yeah. beat the Jaguars. I don't even have to go there. No, I'll go there. That. Patrick Mahomes, two weeks ago, played against the Denver Broncos. And he threw for 240 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. I don't care who you play. If you look the way that he has this year, that means something. And so if he's going up against the worst defenses in the NFL... He's part of why they're the worst defense in the NFL now because he's putting up numbers. So I don't want to hear it. You you guys can watch the games. You can watch the eye test. We don't. I don't want to hear about EPA. The numbers nerds are going crazy with that right now. Like, I don't want to hear about any of it. C.J. Stroud's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league so far this year, and he is a rookie. That is when, impossible. When the Houston Texans beat Jacksonville 37-17, to mind you, C.J. Stroud's line that game. 280 yards throwing, two touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence, 279, one touchdown, one interception. He made Tank Dell uh, the player of the game with 145 yards receiving and a touchdown. So, no, I'm not going to sit there and pump the brakes on it. We've seen it from start to finish. Guess it throws a little bit of rain on the NFL's new cognition test, huh? Yeah, the, what is it? You're going to have to explain cognition test to me first. <laughs> they, they do this, it was S12, S something test where they... They test how your brain works, how it operates when oh, it comes to... Oh, that's this guy. Oh, the yeah. The recognition of... Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, he's not smart enough to play. S2, I think, is what it was. And uh, he rated very poorly. Oh, yeah. It. Well, it turns out. I would say but, throw those tests away. Bryce Young was like the top one that they've ever seen. Yeah, so. I would say throw those tests away from now on. Final thing here. Has a clock struck midnight on Geno Smith and the Seahawks, Alex? Yeah, I think so. I... Somebody wrote off Geno Smith this season, and unfortunately, he did write back back and said, I'm still here, and we forgot about it. I mean, you've got three guys in terms of weapons to throw to with Lockett, Metcalf, and Smith, and Jigba, and I don't even feel like this offense is average right now. Like, you you haven't seen the game-breaking week for... Geno Smith or DK Metcalf. And you can use, yeah, they've played some competitive teams, but Geno Smith just doesn't look like the guy. And, I mean, you've got all of the weapons. You've got a great head coach. Your running game is there. Defensively, you upgraded. But your quarterback's not getting the job done. Meanwhile, we just talked about a Houston Texans team that's quarterback is getting the job done. So, yeah, I I think the Cinderella story last year that was the Seattle Seahawks, I think it struck midnight and they need a new slipper, i.e. a quarterback. Disney reference for it. You're welcome, buddy. Glass slipper because Geno Smith is glass. He broke you broke the glass in case of an emergency, and the emergency was last year. You're making me explain this joke too long, and it's not funny anymore. I get it. Thanks, Bradford. I just should have shut up when I had the chance. Turn back into a pumpkin too. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Thanks. Coming up next, we're diving into <laughs> the job, junk drawer. Maybe some more Disney references here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Alex, I'm trying to imagine a heel turn similar to what we just witnessed with Craig Council going from being the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers to now sticking in the division and taking over as the new manager of the Chicago Cubs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to dive into the junk drawer. Can you think of something that reminded you of this? Is there another, I guess maybe it would be like Brett Favre going to the Jets for a year or two and then eventually coming back into the division with the Vikings, but that wasn't immediately going from the Packers to the Vikings. There was something in between. Craig Council went from being a consistent playoff contending manager of his hometown Milwaukee Brewers to the hated Chicago Cubs, the intra-divisional rivals, overnight can you think of something like this i mean i can't like i'm trying to think of something that like stands substance that you would hate them because it's got to be like their decision to do this like the one that came to mind to me was brett hall the year that he left the blues and went to dallas he signed as a free agent but that was st louis saying we're not re-signing you milwaukee basically told craig council we want you back and he said nah i'm good and decided to go to somewhere else in the central Belichick, the the switch from switch from the Jets to the Patriots, I yeah. think would be up here. That's pretty similar. But that he didn't have success in New York. He had the job for like two days and then decided on a napkin, I'm resigning, and then went and took the job in New England. Would it so, be KD leaving really, and going to Golden I, State? I wouldn't they say rivals. Yeah, I wouldn't say KD. I guess kind of. There's some. There's some there. As much as LeBron leaving Cleveland the first time around because it was so agonizing for Cleveland fans and he was going yeah. to an upper level team in the Eastern Conference yeah. against which you were competing. I, mean, I, I hated the guy and I wasn't even a Cleveland Cavaliers I fan. I think the problem with that was the public nature of it. Him doing the decision on national television. Yeah. Exactly. Didn't do the Craig decision. Council essentially just did it. It was just Fair. on social media. Um, I, I can't. I really can't because I'm like going through every sport right now trying to think. I think Brett Favre, Bill Belichick's a really good one. I mean, I think LeBron falls into that conversation, though, because I despised that man for a couple of years after that That's move. probably the closest thing we've seen to that. Probably. Jason Hayward? Yeah, kind of Hayward's similar. a good one, especially because he called the the Cardinals old, which, I mean, he was right. That's, that's pretty similar to what we're watching here uh, in terms of a guy that went in the division from one team to the other. I see somebody brought up Pujols, but like, yeah, Pujols decided to go where the money was in front of him, but he went to like, if he would have gone to like if somebody he took the money in the, from Chicago. Yeah. Or at least somebody in the national league, but he went all the way across the country mm. to the American league and took it from the angels who yeah. don't matter. Plus with LeBron, you had the splashy nature of that decision constantly thrown in your face. If yeah. you were a Cleveland fan, how many, not three, not four, not five. It was just agonizing over and over. Somebody said Joel Quinville again, not Joel's decision. Joel was fired by the Blues. Yeah. Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon's a really good one. And he's a royal in my mind. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, yeah, you don't count in this one. Someone did bring up Wilson Contreras. But see, like, Wilson Contreras wasn't. He wasn't wanted. Yeah, he they wanted to get rid of him, so that doesn't matter. Bryce Harper, yeah, I guess. But Washington. Not I mean, really, because Washington wasn't going to pay him. That's the thing that I think is different is Milwaukee wanted to keep Craig Council. Yeah, Milwaukee they basically said, yeah. They wanted him to be back in Milwaukee, and he said, I want to go elsewhere, though. I want to go manage a winner. And that can't happen here while I'm with Milwaukee. So I think it almost has to be a situation where a guy goes from a smaller, like somebody that feels like a little brother going to a bigger brother. That's what this has to feel like. Otherwise, it's a little different because the Brewers always feel as if they're punching up to Chicago 
to beat the Cubs. And now the guy that always said, yeah, we're going to take them down is now saying, actually, yeah, that's all fun and good. What you're trying to do there in Milwaukee. I'm going to go to the I'm going to have my cake and eat it, too, by going to Chicago. I guess you could say Johnny Goudreau. But I mean, like different places because it was Canada versus Columbus. Went to Columbus. But I mean, Calgary was willing to give him the money. And he said, no, I don't want it. And went to Columbus, which is I mean, look, that's a market that's less appealing than Calgary market, I would imagine. And this is one of the more compelling. I can't believe we're saying this about a baseball manager. I cannot believe that that's where we're at. But it's It's, one of the more compelling villain stories that we're going to have. Oh, yeah. In sports in 2024. He's going to be hated by Milwaukee for the rest of his life. Yeah. And that's got a sting for him because, I mean, you're talking about a legend in that area. This would be like somebody going from the Giants to the Dodgers, like a, a player that had an like offer. Jack, to, like Jack Peterson. Oh, well, Dodgers to the stud, Giants. Like, a, whoa, this would be like if Madison Bumgarner in his prime was offered a similar amount of money from the Giants and decided, no, I would rather play for the Dodgers or Lincecum. Yeah, like that. That's what this is in terms of the importance of the player. And honestly, even more so. Like, this would be like a St. Louis native who then played for the Cardinals, who became a star spurning the Cardinals for the Cubs. Because that's what he is there. He is the Milwaukee Brewer. He's the guy from there that played there briefly and then managed there to a a degree where he took the Brewers to new heights and everything was in his image. And now he's gone. David Stearns, who built it, is now in New York to build the thing better. And the guy that managed it is now in Chicago to build the same thing, but better in your own division. Somebody asked a really good question. What if Yachty emerges as a manager position or a manager and he doesn't get the position in St. Louis and decides to go somewhere else? Does he become that villain in St. Louis? I don't think so, because I think they would blame the Cardinals instead of blaming Yachty. But what if it's Yachty's decision? What well, if Yachty like, is he says, offered the job here? Well, but I'm just I'm giving you a hypothetical, man. Stop getting that, so angry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying I think that's why it's different. I think people would blame the organization instead of blaming Yachty. Yeah. I think in this scenario, they're blaming the manager, Craig Council, because he was offered the opportunity to come back. If Yachty was offered the manager job here and in Chicago and took the job in Chicago, people would hate him. But if he was not offered the job here and the Cardinals said, no, we want to stick with Ollie over him, and then he goes and takes the job elsewhere, then you blame the organization. Yeah, that's true. You know, I don't. Somebody said Nick Saban going from Bama to LSU or from LSU to Bama. There's definitely something there. The problem is he went to the NFL first and then came back to college. I think we do also have to mention that the reason he's going to the Chicago Cubs is because they're offering him, what is it, $8 million? Yeah. Uh, I think the Brewers were willing to if so? not match it, get him pretty close to that. Well, the Brewers then, know how important he is to their organization. Yeah, Can but, they play in that sandbox, though? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I mean, $8 million is nothing compared to what you pay players. You know, $8 million is cheap for it. I think one of the biggest competitive advantages in sports, market and efficiency, so to speak, is paying your coaches top dollar. 
because if you have elite level coaching, it can make up for some of the flaws that you have elsewhere. Didn't and it's so much cheaper than going up and covering those flaws with an $8 million starter. And didn't Craig Council make it very clear that like managers are underpaid in Major yes. League Baseball? So, I mean, you're. It's one of the reasons why he wanted to get top dollars because he wanted to set a new bar for the other managers that are around the league. Yeah, makes sense. Man, what what a time to be alive. I love the amount the people that are in we we love when people send in like examples of this, but the amount of people that are sending in examples from like 1964 or 1948, I'm out on that one, guys. Somebody said Jerry Rice going across the bay to the Raiders. I I mean Jerry Rice was out of his prime at that point. Say, when he like late thirties at that I, point. I think this has to be a coach. I think this has to be a coach that's going from I think certain one players do this another. though. Maybe, but it's hard because a lot of those players end up leaving when they're out of their prime. And so the team that loses them is like, ah, you know what? That's fine. Like we, we're Other than LeBron and KD, walk. I think those are the two that probably match the most of this. KD's tough because it's not like the same division in the in the same situation, but I think those are the closest ones you can have in this. What, what a cool story. What a cool storyline, and it's all happening right here in the NL Central. The, uh, the buzz is with Chicago right now. Can the Cardinals steal it? No by getting back on track. We'll get into that coming up next. The Yama Yama Take two. <laughs> the Yamamoto. I was going Yamayoto. <laughs> Mr. Robot. The Yamayoto's timeline should put in place the deadline for when the Cardinals need to fill their top two spots in the rotation. I'll try to say that a little better coming up on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Yamayoto... Yamamoto! This is why he's not coming to St. Louis! They are going to clip this and send it to his agent and say, when St. Louis calls, because this idiot can't pronounce his name. <laughs> I don't know why that one is so Yoshinobu hard. Yamamoto. We're just going to go with Yoshi. The Yoshi timeline <laughs> should put in place a deadline for the Cardinals. <laughs> Alex, he has been officially posted by his team back in Japan. And what that means is they've got 45 days to negotiate a contract over here in the major leagues for where he's going to be playing next year. So basically you're talking mid-December. Mid-December is when you will see Yoshi sign with a major league baseball club. I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be that club or not. I have no idea. I'm skeptical. That being said, there's a lot more buzz about the Cardinals in relation to Yamamoto than I anticipated. Nailed it. This comes from Bob Nightingale. Quote, a year ago it was starter Kodai Senga and Yoshida, who ended up signing with uh, Boston, that made the biggest splash on the international market. This winter, it's Yamamoto who will make more money than both of those players combined. He's expected to receive at least $200 million, and rival executives believe that he'll wind up signing with the Mets. He then continued, though, that he believes the Cardinals are involved in the Yamamoto sweepstakes, and they have told teams that they are willing to use their outfield depth to also trade for another starter. Alex, what do you think the Cardinals' interest level is and should be in Yamamoto? I think it is and should be, and it's the same conversation for me at, at the highest level of any free agent pitcher right now. And we've talked so much about Nola. We've talked so much about Snell and Sonny Gray, but they don't compare to Yamamoto. 
I mean, I was reading Derek Gould's piece earlier this morning, and I mean, you're talking about the Cardinals having a representative that is a part of the front office for the team that he plays for. Yep. They have a international scout that they hired who lives there and works solely with scouting these types of players. And then you're talking about the agent that is Nolan Arenado's agent is representing Yamamoto. We're talking about Lars Nupar playing with him on the in the uh, in the uh, world. You've got everything is screaming. The Cardinals want Yamamoto. The Cardinals want Yamamoto. So it is at the highest level of this Cardinals scouting this guy on a regular basis, knowing that they need pitching help and realizing that this is somebody who they have connections with and have been scouting for a long time. So that's why it should be at this level, which means if the Yankees fly in, if the Red Sox or now the Cubs fly in and say, hey, we want you here. We're going to give you all the money. The Cardinals need to say, what do we need to do to match what you want, Yamamoto? Is he your number one option this He would be, yes. He would be my number one target. And again, I love Aaron Nola. I think Aaron Nola should be a guy that the Cardinals target. But I think you start, you should start with Yamamoto. because Why why is it? Out of curiosity, like if you could elevator pitch on why he is your number one Because he's 25 years old and the upside is ace. Whereas Aaron Nola is 30, 31 years old, and he's already been an ace. Can he be an ace still? Blake Snell, he's been an ace. Does it continue? I don't ask that question about Yamamoto. Sure, I ask the question, can he be an ace? Because we haven't seen it in the majors. But look at all the past history of players that have come over around what he has done. And look, he's put up historical numbers with his team this year. They've all lived up to their expectations. So... I'm being sold on a guy who at the end of this long-term contract that I'm going to hand out, that's probably going to be $30 million a year. He's still going to be in his prime. Guess what? If it doesn't work out, yeah, I probably should have paid him this much money. But at worst, am I getting a guy who could be a two or a three for me? Overpay. What, what if he ends up being worse than that? What What if his stuff doesn't play the way we expect it to and he ends up being a like mid-rotation starter? Then you know what? You played craps and you got snake eyes. And that sucks. It sucks for the Cardinals if that's what happens. But I'm not because now you've got a thirty million dollar mid rotation starter. But which one's going to be more fr- frustrating for you? A thirty million dollar mid starter who's 25, 26 years old, or a thirty million dollar guy, twenty five million? Let's be honest. If it's Aaron Nola, who's broke and can't even pitch for you, what if it is the alternative of thirty million dollar Yamamoto, twenty five years old, mid rotation starter for the next eight years? Or what we know Aaron Nola to be, going to throw 200 innings. He's going to be a two or a three in your rotation for you. And that's what he is for the next four years. And he's a he's a two to three starter. That's the alternative is you, you decided not to get that guy to get this guy who ends up being nothing more than a mid-rotation starter. And this guy is an extra three years and an extra $5 million per yeah. year. Then you know what? You're going to sit there and you're going to hit yourself because you made the wrong bet. But... I'm also going to look on the upside of that, and the upside to me is a lot more realistic than the downside of this guy not panning out. Like, you don't put these numbers up and come over and just are a complete bust in Major League Baseball. If we were talking about Imanaga right now, I'd be a lot more hesitant with this because that guy doesn't have the upside. This is a guy who, again, is putting up historic numbers with his team over in Japan, just won or got to a championship, I think his team lost, but you're putting up stuff that looks like an ace. They're saying it's the best somebody looks since Shohei Otani. You really going to miss out on that? Because, well, what if he becomes a three or a four-star and I'm paying him $30 million a year? So 
I'm saying all of this just to play devil's advocate. It's the kinds of conversations that they have to be have taking place right now with the Cardinals front office. They, they have to ask all of the upside and downside questions yep. of every single pitcher they could potentially And real sign. quick, we should trust the Cardinals in terms of this evaluation because they've had a lot of success here. They've done a really good job going over to Japan, going over to Korea to bring over guys that are either reclamation projects that had to go over there because their abilities in Major League Baseball weren't good enough to sustain in Major League Baseball, and then they resurrected their careers there, or going over there to just get guys from Japan or get guys from Korea. So they've done a good job with that overall. I, I think I agree with you, Alex, that Yamamoto would be my number one target. And I think what I'm willing to say on this is not that I'm going to be critical of the Cardinals no matter what if they don't sign him, because I don't think that's fair because he has a lot of say in this. He gets to decide where he goes. And if history is any indication, guys at this level coming over from Japan typically go to a coast. Is there an example that you can think of, Alex, where a guy at this level came over from Japan and did not pick a coastal city? I I'm, I, I don't know. How, I don't know what his level was. But what about the outfielder for the Cubs? I guess that would be one. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, thing. I don't know if his I mean, level is at this a one. Top three market in the country. So Again, it's, but you said coast, not a top three market. To totally fair. Um, I, picking a smaller Midwest market would be something that we I don't think have ever seen in this kind of a sweepstakes. So it's there's a lot working against the Cardinals in that regard. What I do want to hear is that the Cardinals were more than competitive when it came to the money they offered. This was not about the money. It was about him wanting to play in New York, L.A., whatever it ends up being. If that is the answer, it's really hard to be critical of the Cardinals. But if it comes out that the Cardinals were off by two years or they were off by $50 million or something like that in the sweepstakes for Yamamoto, that is when I'm willing to be critical of them in this bidding. But what I do think this allows them to do with there being a timeline that is firmly put in place as to when he has to choose his next team, you're going to know what the bidding war looks like with Yamamoto in the next 30 to 40 days. You will have a firm answer on where you're at with him. That is roughly in line with when I would anticipate the markets really starting to develop in a meaningful way for Blake Snell, for Aaron Nola. And depending on what happens with Yamamoto and where you lie in those sweepstakes, if, you're, if you feel like you're probably not going to be the answer there, pivot quickly mm -hmm. and make sure you go out there and get one of those other two guys or go back to the trade market and get yourself a Dylan Cease, Logan Gilbert, etc. I do think the first move they make, though, Alex, is Sonny Gray. I still think that's going to be We've always known that, but we, did, we need to take this into consideration. Cardinals aren't doing anything. Uh, they just announced that their 40-man roster now stands at 40. They claimed a guy. And then they traded for a pitcher from the Seattle Mariners. So, it's guys, there's no 40-man roster space for all of these pitchers you're wanting the Cardinals to get. Where well, is it? Cute. Yeah, where is it? Jared Young from the Cubs, the steal from Craig Council's new team. He's on the 40-man roster now. Where's it coming? <laughs> Can't afford Yama, Yama Yodo, as you like to call him. <laughs> they, they, uh, they claimed a, an outfielder. Oh, oh, Jared Young. Forever young. Jared Young is a uh, first baseman and a right fielder. He's a left-handed hitter, as you would imagine. <laughs> left hitter, left pitcher. He's a, it's uh, the offseason. It's the offseason for lefties. He's going to be a 28-year-old. Last year in Iowa for the, the Cubs AAA affiliate, he had an OPS of 1,000. Didn't, didn't the guy from the Diamondbacks they got, wasn't he Buddy Young? Yeah. Are they? Is the new slogan this year, Cardinals going young? I did not know that. You're welcome.
That was so funny. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we'll play a game of In or Out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out here on 101 ESPN. Alex, let's start with this. I just saw this tweet come out. It is a discussion from Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast. He said, I think that the Calgary Flames are calling around and gauging the market on Hannah Finn and Zadorov. He said, quote, I can see teams like Toronto, Edmonton, Say and it. Vancouver oh, showing it. interest in some of those players. As far as this tweet shows, it did not mention specifically the St. Louis Blues. Crap. Alex, in or out, the Blues are going to be traded for Zadorov before the end of the year. Uh, Zadorov? Yeah. Out. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. You're trading for somebody. It's Noah Hannafin. Are you sure? Yeah. You don't need another third pair defenseman. You need a guy to play with Colton. Zadorov's playing 18, 19 minutes a night. Yeah, because everybody else hasn't been playing well for him. He did that last year, too. They were I, good last year. No, I just... They I, were okay last year. Yeah, they were bad last year. You can stop trying to polish that turd right now. Um, you you go after somebody who you view as the piece to play with Colton Pareko. That's what you do. And I, I'm going to give Nick Letty credit. Nick Letty has been good when he's had to play up there Why with him. Why can't play with him? Because I don't think he's the two-way defenseman that you need. Colton Pareko is a guy that likes to jump up into the rush. You're going to have to have somebody who can also move the puck. Zadorov's, so I was wondering if maybe Colton Pareko becomes more of that. If you've got more of a stay-at-home defenseman next But one. I think the way that Colton Pareko plays, you need another mobile defenseman who can get the puck out of the zone with him. I don't know if I agree with that anymore. I mean, you've had stay-at-home defensemen with him. Nico Mikola was not good. He's not good. But I don't. Well, you think haven't Zid- had a good stay-at-home. I don't think Zadorov is that good. He's better. I think we like Zadorov because oh, he's physical and he hits people. That's yeah. it. Okay. Well, you don't play that way anymore in your own zone. You Fair. get the puck out of the zone. The way that he and Jay Bomeister played is what you're trying to emulate. And Noah Hannafin does that more than Nikita Z- Zadorov does. Do you think that they are in or out going to trade for? I would say Noah I'm. Hannafin? I would say I'm out on this because if those are the teams that are involved, look at the piece like. If I'm Calgary, I'll give you Hannafin for William Nylander right now. If I'm Van... Yeah, and if I'm Toronto, I say absolutely not. Well, why? You are not. You need defensive help poorly. Because William Nylander's been one of the best players in the NHL this year. But you're not going to be able to keep him. I, they might. I'm Unless you decide to move on from Mitch Marner. I'm checking on Mitch Marner if you want. Sure. Uh, I, I, I don't think that Toronto... In season, I'd be shocked. If I would too. But I'm just saying, if you're Toronto and, Han- and Nylander's not going to be able to come back for what he's asking, and you know you got a defenseman that you could get in-house, that's the that's the play. You don't have the necessary pieces to outbid those three teams if, it, if it's what you need to do to get a Noah Hannafin. Vancouver's probably not going to get that because if I'm Noah Hannafin, I, it sounds like he wants out of Canada. So... I'll say I'm out on this one, even though I think it should be in on this one. Uh, in or out, fellas, the the Cardinals go to the max level to sign Yoshi Yamamoto. And by max level, I'm thinking eight years, 30 mil plus. Oh, my. That's what it's going to take. take. Seven, and, seven and 30 is what kind of the projection. Yeah. And I would be. imagine if you're getting into a bidding war with... Um, the, Mets, the Yankees, Dodgers, Yankees, the Dodgers, the, the Red Sox, the Cubs, you're going to have to go to that level. So both the length and the AAV. Yeah. 
yep. I'm out. I don't I don't think that they're going to end up doing it. I would love to be wrong. I think it would be awesome. It would show a clear sign that they're changing. Um, but I, I'm out on this. I do not. I both don't think they're going to extend that far and also don't believe that he is going to come to the Midwest. So on both sides of it, I'm very skeptical. I concur. I'm out as well because simply I have to actually see that unprecedented commitment play out before I believe it. I mean, Sonny Gray is a guy that I think they're going to give serious consideration to. He's 5'9 and 195. He's already a Cardinal. What are we talking about serious consideration to? It would be amazing if they had Yamamoto and Sonny Gray as their That's front a, two starters. And yeah. Oh, my God. This fan base would go insane. Well, and Steven Matz, too. Matz is a tiny dude. No, he's not. Have you stood next to Steven Matz? Steven Matz is a big guy, man. Who am I thinking of? Is it Zach Thompson, maybe? I don't know. Is he tiny? Uh, You might... I don't know who you're thinking. Of. A little below Steven average. Steven is a big guy. Man, my Palante, is that who you're thinking of? Maybe. I mean, he's like my yeah, size. Was, well, but you're tiny too. So yeah, that may that's probably what it yeah, is. I, I think Palante is probably the smallest, slightest guy that they've got in terms of the pitchers. But um, that yeah, Steven that's a big dude. Do you have anything for in or out for us today? I do, actually. It's right up your alley, or so Please. I would presume. In or out, guys. Big time affair, obviously, this coming weekend in Columbia. You've got number 14, Tennessee, coming in to visit the number 16 ranked Tigers right now. In or out, guys. After this weekend in Como, Mizzou is back in, or is in, rather, the AP Top 25, 12 or above. Meaning you have to win, and you do it triumphantly. This if you win, does win? it push yeah. you 20 or above? Next installment. Going right. into week 12, it would be then. So going into the Florida game? Correct. Uh, yeah. I'll I, say I'm Yeah, I'm in on this one. If they win this weekend, they'll be right up there. If they if they end up going 10-2 and two this year, they'll be a top 10-ish team by the end of the season. Um, especially if they win their bowl game. That's, that's typically... I mean, two losses. Let's go back to last season just to kind of look at the final end-of-season rankings see how many teams had two losses on the year it's very rare and it's why i think mizzou fans kind of scoff at it uh too much there were nine teams last season in all of college football that had two losses or fewer it was georgia tcu michigan ohio state alabama tennessee penn state washington and tulane not a power five so of the power five teams there were eight of them if you finish with two or fewer losses, you're a top 10 team nationally, probably. So, yeah, I think they'll be top 12. Yeah, yeah. They beat I'll say this one as well. I, I think the fact that you played so well against Georgia only confirms that this team is going to be able to continue what they've been doing all season. Did anybody take a tumble over the weekend that surprised you results-wise? Sliding back a bit. Um, Among the marquee programs. And no, we're not getting into USC and Caleb really. Williams gate. Not really, because I thought Oklahoma was going to lose that game against Oklahoma State. I was surprised at how lopsided the LSU-Alabama game was. I thought that would be yeah. a, a lot closer, and I thought LSU had a very real chance to win. Notre Dame would probably be the biggest surprise. I didn't see that one coming at Clemson. But other than that, it, things kind of went according to plan. I thought that Mizzou would be close against Georgia, and most of the rest of the games kind of went according to plan. I, I kind of thought LSU was going to make that a little bit more of a competitive game than Great. what it was. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Victor Scott will be the Cardinals opening day center fielder next year. You want to hear something that I just read from Derek Gould in his chat, Alex? Sure. He's young. It makes sense. He'd be a part of this team. I believe, and this is my own informed, ed educated view, not based on sources outlining it for me, just my experience, that, quote, there is a scenario 
where Victor Scott would make a push in spring training and the Cardinals simply couldn't ignore it. If Scott is in spring of next year what Wynn was in spring of last year, it could accelerate his arrival to the major leagues. Part of that would be dictated by how Mason Wynn looks in spring training. He adds, if Wynn were to struggle in spring and the Cardinals had concerns about his offense, what you could do is put Tommy Edmond at shortstop again and have Victor Scott open the season as your starting center fielder. So, Alex, I ask you again, in or out, Victor Scott, starting center fielder on opening day. I'll say I'm in. This is going to really come down to him dominating spring training. And I mean, by dominating like the best player out there. But I think his speed is going to factor in the decision of putting him in the lineup. And if this team wants to be an offensive juggernaut, it's not only going to come from the power. It's going to come from the base paths like we saw the Diamondbacks do. And if you have a Mason win and a Victor Scott at the top and bottom of your lineup, wherever you decide to put them, yeah, I'm saying I'm in on this. Plus, your center to, field's not at a position that I feel like they're comfortable with. He would need to have a meteoric spring like Jordan Walker from a season ago. That's when you consider it. And I still don't think opening day roster, it's a sure bet, but you're considering it. Yeah, I, I'm out on this for opening day. I'd be pretty surprised by it. I think that he's going to be more on the timeline that we saw from Mason Wynn last year. That would be my assumption where... If he performs well during the regular season, by the end of the year, you're talking about potentially bringing him up. He is a really intriguing prospect, though. I saw earlier today he has 80 grade speed. He's one of the very few prospects in all of Major League Baseball. For those that aren't familiar with the grading scale for, for baseball, it's 20 to 80, 80 being the highest, which is rare, and you almost never give it out. He had 50 stolen bases this year and 66 games at high A. Then went to double A and I was like, okay, well, that's probably going to come back a little bit. 44 stolen bases in 66 games at double A. And then now he's in the Arizona Fall League, continues to hit the ball well, 16 stolen bases in 22 games down there, which is like a bunch of the top prospects in Major League Baseball. I really think this comes down to also what they do at the trade deadline. Or not the trade deadline, in the offseason. If they trade a Tommy Edmond or trade uh, Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman, that opens up center field, and that's going to force them into saying, hey, Victor Scott, you better be ready because we're going to need you. Unless they go sign somebody. Unless they trade somebody like a Tommy Edmond and then go sign Harrison Bader, Mm -hmm. one of the other available uh, center fielders going into the offseason. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. I want to get your guys' reaction to this as we discuss it as well. Alex, the Blues decided to make the difficult decision of breaking up the Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas pairing on the top line. And since then, they've looked good, both of them individually, without the other being on the ice with them. Are the Blues finally finding that chemistry that we were waiting for all year long in your mind? Yeah, I think they are. And look, it's good to have a Kairou and Thomas, but you were too predictable with Kairou and Thomas on the same line. And those that line was predictable, but the team in general was predictable. You kind of isolate, you go into the other locker room and just like hypothetical purposes, you think of what the other coach and teams are talking about. When Thomas, Kairou, and Buchnevich were together, those teams were saying, guys, if we eliminate this line, their offense isn't going to be as effective. And that's what they would do. The best defensive line would go up against Kyrou and Thomas and Buchnevich, and both sides would kind of push each other out, but then the other team's depth would outscore the Blues. 
because the best players were on the same line. So now that you're spreading the wealth, I mean, both games over the weekend, you rolled four lines consistently. New Jersey Devils, I mean, we saw the ice time rise with your third and fourth line. Hayes, of course, has two goals in that game. You get the fourth line that contributes. Jake Neighbors is the one that broke the scoring through. And then the Montreal Canadiens game. You dominate the first couple of periods with Cairo and Thomas's line separately. And then in the third period, you're able to put the other lines out there to get favorable matchups. So I think you go by pairs. Thomas and Buchnevich are a pair that work really well together, and Kapanen is now opening up that time and space. And then you look at Kairou. Kairou and Shen have always been an effective pair together. And then you put in Brandon Saad, who's a net front presence. Now you've got two top lines that can go up against other teams' top lines, and then a third and fourth line that can try and spread the offensive wealth yeah, occasionally. third and fourth line is about the identity. It's the Craig Berube identity line stuff. Yeah. They've just got two of them right now, and then there's Verona, who's there, and... He's, he's got an identity. Um, he's definitely got an identity. I don't know that it fits with what uh, Craig Berube wants that identity to be, but that's neither here nor there. I think Kapanen's the one that opened this up, honestly. I think the one that's changed how I look at that top line is Kasperi Kapanen and the way that he's been playing with them. Because we've seen Booch with Thomas. Been good at times, been bad at times. Mostly it's been somewhere in between. We saw them with Jordan Cairo, and it didn't work for whatever reason. Kapanen's ability to be a puck retriever, to be a puck hound, to play the way that we saw at times with like a Jaden Schwartz, for example. And he's got the speed that people don't expect him to have. I think that's what's changed the outlook for that top line. So he, to me, has been kind of the the skeleton key that has unlocked the top six for the Blues, and it has allowed them to get the best out of Jordan Cairo. I also think this. I think Braden Shin at times, this is me projecting, I don't know this to be true, but my guess, I think it's been frustrating at times to play with guys like Vladimir Tarasenko or Jordan Kairou, who are very much offensive-minded players. I think the comments from Braden Shin after that game the other night where he said, hey, Kairou's been doing everything you could ask for. He's just not in the score sheet right now. We love the way that he's playing. I think that also tells you something, that he now feels comfortable playing with Jordan Cairo, and I don't know that that was always the case in the past. Uh, I, Braden, uh, Joey has talked about this. Shen holds Cairo to a higher standard than everybody else on this team because I think Braden Shen realizes what type of player Jordan Cairo is as long as you put the work in on the other side of the ice. And I don't know if that was able to be accomplished when you were playing with a Robert Thomas. Now you play on a line with Braden Shen, and it's not that Braden Shen gets frustrated playing with these guys. It's just if they're not playing the same level as Braden Shen, to where if they want to be in the offensive zone, like at times Vladimir Tarasenko would play like Yakub Verana, where you weren't getting it on the other side, it was just on the offensive side. And that gets infuriating if you're a guy like Braden Shen because you're trying to drive offense, but the only way to drive offense is if you have the puck and you got to play defense. Now you're starting to see that from Jordan Cairo, and that's where Braden Shen can thrive to where it also falls on Jordan Cairo. Like, if you're not getting that same push with your line, that same consistently with your line, we talk about chemistry all the time, and chemistry can go through line to line. But if you're on the same page as the guys you're playing with, then things start to become a lot more effective. And I just kind of look at each line as an identity. The Thomas line is the line that's going up against the other team's top pairs. So you might not see the offense on a nightly basis, but what does their top players look like? Thomas and Buchnevich are guys that can eliminate the opposition. And that means Kairou and Shen get opportunities to go up against some favorable matchups. Look at the Montreal Canadiens game. Kairou and Shen played against the second line that was the Montreal Canadiens, and they put up seven points. The New Jersey Devils game, Shen and Kairou played against Brat and Meyer. 
And that was the game that Thomas and Buchnevich had success with. So it comes and flows. But right now, I think Shen has been preaching to Jordan Cairo since last season. There's got to be an emphasis in this area of the ice. And now that he's touching it, you're starting to see what he's capable of. The same can be said about a Thomas and Buchnevich. That's what it means to be a captain. Yeah. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll have the BK and Ferrario Rewind to wrap this show up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can always watch us on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Our studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Alex will finish the show today by discussing the biggest news in baseball right now, which is that Craig Council is going to be taking the job in Chicago. The Cubs have made it uh, publicly known now that they are relie- <laughs> relieving David Ross from his Why duties. Why are you laughing at It's not funny, <laughs> it's just man. It's hilarious, man. This is like, a man's life we're talking about here. I, I genuinely feel bad for David Ross. Like, he... It's not his fault Just that the better best dude. manager in baseball became suddenly available. And <laughs> they decided, hey, we want Craig Council. I get it. I would want him too. Me too, man. And David Ross was probably sitting there thinking to himself, all right, what are we going to do? We're going to be a real contender next year. We took the step forward this season. We were close. We, for about a week or two, we're like, hey, might be a playoff team this year. And this offseason, maybe you go get Juan Soto. You go get one of the top starting pitchers right back into this thing. And then, boom, gone. You're done. <laughs> I, I, I forgot who put it out on Twitter, but um, just a friendly reminder that the end of the season press conferences do not matter because yeah. – both A.J. Preller with the Padres and Jed Hoyer, both at the end of the season presser said, these are our guys moving forward. We love them. Next week, boom, this guy's out. We're interviewing for a new one. Boom, this guy's out. We're interviewing for a next one. Uh, so what, this might surprise you, BK, but so what people in the front office say actually doesn't come that's true. That's why I don't care that the Cardinals didn't have an end-of-season press conference because none of it's real. Well, it's all fake. That's why I also don't care when they keep talking about being aggressive this offseason because sometimes it just doesn't really matter what you say. It's about the actions. Yeah. The actions from the Cubs show you that they are willing and able to be aggressive this offseason. Yeah. You don't go out and make Craig Council the highest-paid manager, not only in baseball right now, but according to reports, ever. Highest-paid manager ever in the history of the game. And then skimp on your roster. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. There's no reason to. You already had a guy that people considered to be, you know, top 15, top half of the league in terms of the manager that was in place. And he's a team legend. He's a guy that's been around, that's created a positive atmosphere inside of the clubhouse. Like a lot of the things that you want a manager to do in the modern game, David Ross was capable, more than capable of accomplishing those things. You don't go out and make this move unless you're really trying to be aggressive this offseason. Yeah. So, that puts pressure on the Cardinals to go do the same. You have to be highly aggressive, not just to keep up with the Cubs, but to get yourself back on track, man. To get yourself back to being the 
team that teams are trying to catch in this division right now there really isn't that team yeah. and it's it's up for grabs because council left milwaukee because they were the state they were the class of the central and now it's open and look the division matchups don't matter anymore because of the change of the schedule like you don't play the team 14 or 18 times like you used to you play them less but it, now it's competing with the entire national league because you're playing them more which means to win the division, you have to be better than these top teams. And although you're not going to see the Cubs the same amount like you used to, when you play them and the minimum amount of times that you do, you need to come out ahead. You can't play 500 ball in eight games against the Chicago Cubs because if you do, now you're talking about not winning that Central Division crown. And basically what the Cubs just did is say, hey, this title crown is achievable. The Central Division allows us to fight to be at the top we've got money to spend we just got ourselves a manager so this is the cardinals and i know they always use the phrase well we don't do our offseason compared to what other teams do well you're gonna have to because if other teams are making themselves better and you don't want to be a wild card anymore then you have to be better than that team yeah somebody else on the text line said guys the cubs don't make an aggressive move like that unless they fully expect the cardinals to be extremely aggressive this offseason i don't think that's the case i i think that the cubs saw what their roster was this year realized okay we're not that far away mm -hmm. our young guys are ready to go now we've got nico horner we've got other guys that are are playing at the level that we expected them to we signed dansby swanson who was good for them he helped their infield defense and we've had a couple of pitchers really step up in a meaningful way specifically with steel now let's go make the push mm -hmm. now it's time to do with this group what we did in 2015 basically with the last group where we're going to go add to this core group of players and try to compete for championships again. It's been almost a decade. They're ready to get back in on that. It's been almost a decade since the Cardinals have competed for championships too. It is once again time for them st to start competing the way that the Cubs just signaled they are more than willing to. For Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Bradford's done a great job the last couple of days filling in for Tanner Hendrickson. T-Bone will be back in with us tomorrow. We'll get to our Pick'em reveal. Big game tonight in the NFL as well, Alex. We need the Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Charges, Charges, Charges. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.